tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you if you'd like to make a call. And Doc is looking after the show today. Coming up on the programme, a new application for a telecommunications mast in New Inn. We'll hear the story of a young man's battle with addiction. Pat Harold, our GP, is joining us. Uh, Councillor Shane Lee will update us on the Racket Hall saga. We'll hear from Uriel Cuddy of Marito 8020. We'll also have a chat with Labour's youngest local election candidate. He's going to introduce himself uh, to us uh, today and of course we'll have, have a look at the latest farming news as well. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at uh, some of the headlines in the newspapers today. Uh, the Irish Independent, in fact, right across the newspapers today, it's the RTE saga. And uh, the headline on the Indo, RTE now has to foot tax bill for €450,000 golden handshake. We'll be speaking about that in just a little while to Matty McGrath. Um, the Irish Examiner and uh, their lead story, that tragic story indeed. I'm sorry I couldn't save you, Chief. Uh, those uh, devastated words from the father of Matthew Healy reduced the congregation at the six-year-old's funeral to tears and at the Church of the Immaculate Conception in Watergrass Hill, James Healy urged mourners to cherish and enjoy your kids. Also on the front of the examiner today we're reading that Ireland and Spain have joined together to uh, pressure the European Commission into carrying out an urgent review of the EU's trade deal with Israel given the ongoing bombardment of Gaza. And uh, let's have a look at uh, the Irish Times and it's dominated by a wonderful uh, photograph indeed of Daniel Whiffen who struck gold in Doha, the first ever World Championship swimming medal for Ireland and many congratulations indeed uh, to him. Also on the Times today, Ireland and Spain calling for the EU to review the trade uh, with uh, Israel, that story right across uh, the newspapers today and once again the front of the Irish Times making reference to uh, RTE's um, indeed being in front of the Oireachtas uh, Media Committee yesterday. So if you want to make comment on any of that, again we'd love to hear from you, 083 311 the email is tiptoday at tipfm com. Now it's uh, the big story today on the newspapers. RTE's former chief financial officer, uh, Breda O'Keefe, was paid €450,000 as part of a controversial exit package. Director General Kevin Backhurst has confirmed at a meeting of the Oireachtas Media Committee. He also came to the defence of RTE's Director of Human Resources, uh, Emer Cusack, after she was accused at the committee of not doing her job when she didn't flag the exit package with other management figures at the broadcaster. Tipperary's Independent TD, Matty McGrath, is part of the Oireachtas Media Committee and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Matty. Good morning, Ben. And thanks for your time this morning. Uh, we suspected a golden handshake, uh, Matty, but 450,000? It's astonishing. 
uh, Fran, and look, I honestly feel that there's huge fatigue out there in the public with this, you know, that's fiction. So I'm tired of it because it begins belief, and that is the package. And to make it worse, um, it, it's, if there are tax, tax implications, which there probably will be, uh, it's going to be the taxpayer have to pay them as well. They have to RT, we'll have to pay them, so it's left to the taxpayers' money, our license fees, which is astonishing. And Minister, uh, sorry, um, Rory Coveney um, also mm. is, has gone, and he's gone on an exit package, which we weren't told. He's the man that took charge of the musical, and uh, they were told to meet that. Some detail yesterday they went into that. Tie show, the musical I called it Tie Show the Fascicle. Mm-hmm. They wanted it in the in the convention centre and do you know how many tickets they sold for it? How many? I mean they defended in the late show studio or maybe wow. if it was used downstairs used to sixty. Well, and, and, uh, the, other, the other thing that struck me, Matty, and I, 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 you know, I know how this generally works. I mean, if you resign from any company or business, you generally walk away. Um, Rory Coveney resigned because he felt his position was no longer tenable, but we don't know how much he got, but he also got a sum of money. Yes, we don't know, but I'm sure it was a sizable sum. I'm sure, I have no proof, but I, I, I we'll have to try and extract that. He just kind of gave a bombshell yesterday, the new GG just just, just um, um, threw it out there around 50,000. I think I think he needed some sacrificial lamb yesterday because of getting bogged down and, and, and under pressure. And he just threw that out there, kind of a, a bombshell. Maybe the next week, Don Patchy might tell us what Mr. Coveney got. But look, it's it's it's, it's fascinating. And six in the car of the public. But what I'm really, really concerned about, and I try to um, get around it just as much as I could, is the, the fact that they have reappointed auditors that were there for all of this, uh, all of this saga. And this is Delight. Yeah. In the mass in the mass presentation to RT, and I put this in music, no and this is quoting from the minutes of the meeting, no significant control deficiencies have been noted. So I questioned RT about that. Mm. They, they turned around then and we know we know how the deficiency we know how it come out then. And then they turn around and reappoint them. And they kind of tried to tell me you know, the reason they did was, you know, to take six to six to eight months uh, to to get new a uh, new team in. I, I believe those accounting firms all over the country would be love this gig. And I, I honestly believe they wanted to keep them to take six to eight months to replace them. And uh, they got another. They said at the at the request of 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 the light, they got another. You know, fairly highly noted firm, firm into to to look at it when the when the S one T hit the fan, hit the fan. But I mean, the fact that they can rebind them again, I honestly, and I said it just uh, quite boldly. I think yeah. you were trying to mind that mind the house. They were going to like I equated with the hen house and keep the fox house and and and, and you know and the rooster. Um, perhaps they feel that by keeping those people, they know where the bodies. But haven't you know. haven't they that contract out to tender at the moment? Have they not? I was talking to so they've applied them for two years. That's, yeah. that's the ambiguity that came up yesterday. I was, she told me that they had them reappointed for two years. And so why, how could yeah. we be able to tender if it takes um, a six to eight months just to have a two-year contract appointed? So look, it's a shock and contempt for the taxpayer it, and the Irish public. It does bring up the whole business then, Matty, of the future funding of uh, RTE. <laughs> Sinn Féin have come out uh, to say that they would abolish the licence <laughs> fee uh, completely. How do you feel about that? Future funding of the public service broadcaster? Well, just, I mean, uh, look, 
I have, I have very uh, jaundiced view of it because we're not getting public service broadcasting. It's a government narrative broadcasting. It should be called, and it's the government pay directly for it because they're doing their bidding. They're not questioning. Like, they won't have people on with a contrarian view. We saw that during COVID. We see that now during the, 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 the excess debts. Any of the issues that we want to deal with, the World Health Organization, any of these things, you know, they are our government over and back to, to the WEF, everything else, but they won't go near any of those issues. So they're not a public service broadcast. Long since I've lost that. And they're doing the government's bidding and, and they're too close to government. So it's, it's a tricky one, but Sinn Féin's answer is not the right one at all. I mean, the way with the, the, way with the license, mm. I mean, what about the people that pay them all their, all their life? What about the Well, there would be an amnesty then for people who didn't pay. Yeah, that's what they want. And they want them to still continue to give the 38 million a year to run posts. Oh, but, but they need the money. But how can you give them 38 million? This is the Sinn Féin's document in the, in the, in the mm. motion that they would still continue to pay the but, 38 but million. But how would you? I mean, inevitably, inevitably, they'll be funded in some way, Matty. So how would you fund them? No, no, but just, just to finish that point, they, they still want the 38 million on course they're getting yes. to collect and administer life. They still want that paid by the government. So it's totally money for everyone. So how can we have that system? I, I, my honest question is, I'm, I have not, I haven't come to, a, I haven't come to a, a, a clear decision on this. Why I didn't vote last night. I hate abstaining. I didn't abstain. I was paid, but I, I, I didn't vote on it because. None of the two options on the table last night, none of the above are clear. Minister Madden has one view, the Taoiseach and Michael McGrath have other views, so it's, it's, mm. it's, it's, something has to be changed, but we, we need definitely to have... A, and and a, that notion headline. of revenue uh, being responsible for picking up the money from people, I mean, have you concerns about that, for example? I have, because I, I brought up that just again. It's astonishing that up to six, six, 600, possibly 400 people people's um, um, remuneration packets are under review. And they have a 15 million fund put aside uh, to, to, to deal with revenue contingency funds. Plus, plus, it could be a lot more. And I mean, I'm appalled that revenue have taken this lazy fair uh, attitude. I, I, I had a businessman on to me during the week that revenue froze all his bank accounts because he was owed him you know, 10,000 quid. So she, she made the point to me, which is astonishing too, we're a big employer, so we're... Are you losing me, fan? Yeah, no, 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 I can hear you fine, Matty, yes. Um, um, uh, there's some interference, but anyway, she made the point that it's because we have so many employees that we can do these kind of deals. You ask any businessman who are struggling, a woman, in, t- in temporaries today, they get no uh, mercy from revenue, and they get no deals, and they're not going to live, wait for two or three years for revenue to ascertain. They come in straight away and they uh, hit you with penalties and, and interest and uh, you, you're, you're named and shamed on the papers and you're, you're dealt with, uh, you know, rigorously, that's the law of the land. RT special, uh, sacred cows, I call them, and they're getting this treatment here when everybody knows what's going on in the evidence. Yeah, well, it probably, would suit, it probably would suit RTE if the licence fee was um, uh, taken away and if it was funded directly from government, would it not? Well, of course it would. Yeah. And as I said, they'd be happy enough then to do the government's bidding, whatever government then should be. And I expect well, I'm sure they government. would disagree profoundly with you on no, that, and they would say I that don't. journalists are, you know, that they're they're not biased in, in certainly, their... Certainly used to be, friend, but in the last number of years, they've changed change utterly. And, and uh, for your station, Diana, if you are questioning, as I'm saying, I'm not saying believe in everything, but question everything. Like the, the, the truth in the news was always the slogan of the Irish president. Was it going back? But we, we haven't that anymore, and people are afraid. And you, I saw this when 
more importantly, this, this last government, this present government, and the one before, we managed to get into government, they appoint all uh, good, critical journalists that were there, and, other, uh, and they, they appoint them as their media advisors. So straight away, they're gone from being, being, being uh, investigative journalists into ad- advising the ministers and all how to how to deal with the, with, with the media. So, you know what I mean? And that, that happens, and then they go back into media jobs with this government in, and another new team will go in, and that used to happen, going back in. In, in the day, there were people all right with the experience, but not not journalists. They could name four or five or six journalists I knew well. Fairly senior journalists that are yeah. now government, uh, government media spokespersons. But the biggest kind of point is that the revenue brand. I'm just saying that nobody would get away with that with revenue, and, and rightly so. But RT seems to, in a way, was winking or not. And she gave the answer yesterday that because they had hundreds of employees, that that's why they were getting away with it. Yeah, and well, I, I, I presume there will be an obligation to pay at some stage or other now, no, no, no. now that these that's figures my, are out in the open, Matty. But that's my precise point. Yes. Because up to four or six hundred. Right. But the taxpayer will pick that up as well, yeah. Oh, yeah, bogus, no, no, bogus employees that are run as uh, self-employed when they should have been PAYE. Mm-hmm. And what about the army workers in there? As I said, you see the man in the hood going in, the security man, all the seniors make up, you know, researchers and all. They're in an awful situation. And I heard this morning a union man saying, bitch of the roof are falling in, that, that there was rodent investment in the studio. Like, investment is bad and easy, but when you see all this loud chest, and, and the fact in, and I named them all yesterday, these people who refuse to come into committee, they should be compelled to come into the board committee. Otherwise, it's really a waste of time. And my concluding remarks yesterday, I went back to where I started all those months ago, where I asked for the false squad you brought in there. Because by saying that, we have 15 million uh, funds set aside to deal with outstanding revenue issues. That is fraudulent. Uh, books have been presented. And the auditors that stood over this uh, said that they found nothing, they found nothing, no deficiencies have been noted. So the whole thing stinks with high heaven. Right. All right. Well, there's more to come on it for, for sure. Before, before, be, yeah. before I let you go, Matty, can I just ask you about what's been happening in, in Drogheda? Because you were very much part of the uh, protest in, in Racket Hall in, in Ross Gray. And what emerged from that was a total lack of communication with ordinary people. It's, it's as if it's a very similar situation now in Drogheda. The, the D Hotel will be used to house 500 uh, IPA applicants. Um, and it looks like there was little or no communication with local people there again. There is no communication. I still salute to people Ross Gray and the grandfathers and grannies and, and people there that are working and doing night shifts on, on, the, on the protest line there. They have to be heard. Listen, there was every incident we're told there was no there was better, there'd be better consultation like that. There is none. The system is wrong. You have a package there. Look at the package there now uh, with people seeing an option to get soft money 90, 80, 90 euro a night per, per pillowcase not the room to spare uh, how many people can fit in the room so it's manna from heaven and you're greedy then developers and hoteliers different people they look to Hennewitz our staff to Hennewitz our customers this is the most simple way of making money and it's and most of it is tax free so I mean it's, it's a shocking situation and the people in Ross Gray were mistreated it's had but to how they keep hand compared to how they with with, with, um, with, with Ross Gray because they have a number of hotels to draw that while it's at the any hotel one of the business and as I said, I questioned this at all on Tuesday with the Taoiseach with the 13,000 people who come in through Dublin Airport in 2019 with absolutely no shred of evidence. And he ended up by going around and started to come back then to me, oh yeah, they come in, but they were all trafficked. They were trafficked, I mean, yes. 10% of them might be trafficked now, but that's a, a largest figure. That's not true at all. So look, we have a ham-fisted policy here. It hasn't been corrected. I'm at the moment 
it were two weeks trying to get information about two premises in Tipperary that constituents were ringing me about, concerned about, and I, I, I said, thank you, clarification. Right. Up to now, I could get it quicker. But, friend, before you go, there's yes, two things. Mm. One is about the situation regarding AIB and the fact that they can't print the checkbooks. Yes. If, if this is not an attempt, now I'm an AIB customer, if this all my life, if this is not an attempt to get rid of, of, of checks and have everything go to electronic means, uh, it, it, what well, we, we got a statement from AIB to say that people would have their checkbooks on the 12th of this month, which was three days ago. Is that is that not the case, Matty? No, no, it's not the case. And uh, how do people, like most farmers and most country people, on my vintage anyway, mm. we do all our business. I would check, and, and I, I have many, many customers, now, they pay by check, and uh, it, it's a shocking situation. Yes, the but AIB. they're saying their they're printing uh, company uh, is going into liquidation or something, isn't that, isn't that what they were saying? I know, but what could you do this morning on my business this morning uh, if we can't <laughs> turn out and put on your show? Mm. Tell me, we're all AIB, a massive company, and, and they get their own. Now, what do you think is behind it? Is it a way of phasing out? I think so. Just a t- test run, a test run to see oh. if, if no, no, there might be printing problems, but it's a test run to see if, if people can manage without these checks and oh, force right. people to go electronic. And just the other word in France, just to say, it's okay. Uh, Will Ashwin GMS is in the door, celebrated by Father Theo from San Mel. Uh, he's, a, he's a Ugandan priest who, mm. who's also chaplain in the hospital. Much loved man. And he got his citizenship uh, only there in, in Germany, it was before Christmas. The 18th of December, but his paperwork is on the way to him. But he came up yesterday and celebrated the Mass in Little House, and he went down the dream and with one of the biggest crowds ever. And I want to also, didn't know when we invited him, that he's celebrating his 25th uh, Silver Jubilee last oh, uh, last, 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 uh, last Tuesday, just this Tuesday this week. So right. just send him good wishes, and I meet people all the time acknowledge how hard and how diligent he is and how caring is the patient. Well, many congratulations to him. Uh, Matthew, thanks very much indeed for your time today. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, independent TD for Tipperary. Uh, Matthew McGrath, who is also part of the Oireachtas Media Committee, 1800-938-007. And Lister says, good morning, Fran. I've always and continue to pay my TV licence, but I'm so angry since yesterday. The guardee should be called into RTE to investigate if fraud took place. Uh, These people used our money to give nearly half a million to a colleague without going through proper procedure. Is this not fraud? It's well worth, in fact, if you have the time, to read up on some of the detail as to why that figure was given to the person uh, involved. Well worth to have a read of that in in your newspapers today if you have the time. Uh, Somebody else saying no regard for taxpayers' money, especially uh, by the government. Absolutely no accounting. Somebody else saying anywhere taxpayers' money goes, the government do not keep an audit on. Um, okay, and it goes on to say more, and they're wondering about D Forbes as well. Well, she is uh, giving certification of the fact that she's uh, unwell and uh, unable to present herself to the various uh, committees, and that uh, certainly is still the case. All right, we'll take a break. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Air has submitted another planning application seeking approval to erect a 15-metre telecommunications mast in the heart of New Inn Village just five months after Onboard Planola upheld the County Council's decision to refuse planning for a similar structure. Now, Councillor Andy Maloney is across this and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Andy. 
Good morning, friend. And thanks for joining us uh, today. Um, you are urging the county council's planners to uphold their previous decision where this is concerned, Andy. Yes, and I afford it. Yeah, I'm both and all as well. Like I ruled in favour of the council on this occasion, and the last time when this application went in, there were 77 submissions went in against us. And I'm just more or less encouraging, like you know, I'm against law enforcement and ram down our throat for the day, then we can make a submission and encourage them to uphold the decision that was made by the council and on board Fanala, because I think that was the right decision at the time, and this is the very same thing, more or less, back in again. So I can't see, like, what's the point if it's been refused twice, you're going back in with the same thing. And they were told at the time to find an alternative to the, what they had, and that hasn't been sought after. So I think that the council would have no choice only to refuse it again on this occasion. It's been described as a shrouded mast with antennae, uh, dishes and associate. As far as you're concerned, that's no different to what they applied for before. No, and the problem I find with these shrouded masks, they're like a big, uh, they're like the spire for all its worth above in Dublin. And what they do then is they add on at the top of them. So while the shroud is fine and, and you know, it wouldn't be as intrusive, but what happens then is they actually, someone told me that they sell uh, different uh, pieces off of it. Yes. Services off of it. And it becomes that they build on these, these big, long, white uh, piece down outside them all around and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger so that's from my uh, thinking of it that shrouded pole is a, a big like the spire and it's 15 metres the same height but then what they add on to them afterwards then is, is, is where the biggest problem and is. And would they be able to do that without going back for further permission Andy? Seemingly not once they have once they have to mask up they can, they, can, they can sell services off of it at that stage but either way it's like it's, it's still it's the same as what we have just replacing a timber pole 12 metres with a 15 metre uh, shrouded mast. Like it, it doesn't detract away from the problem that we have with it and, and the close proximity to the residential uh, area and the house, especially the house beside him. Like it, it has devalued the house. There's no way that like, if the sale of that house is, is affected by it as well. And like a lot of a lot of good work has been done in the village of New Inn uh, over the last number of years. And look, if we just don't want to have an eyesore either in the middle of the village because we're talking about a green made from care to cash and we're going to two phases of, of, of funding mm. on that as well. So it is, it is, there's a lot going on here that's just, just the shroud of mess and everybody's looking, fairness, I'm talking to you on a mobile and we all want mobiles, we all yeah, want to have yeah. accessibility. And, but, so we're not to take away from that and WHO will say there's no risks to health and so forth and that's there by other people as well. But the, the facts of the matter here is that what's going to come after this thing and how, how big and how it gets plus the devaluation of houses and plus the, the effects it has had on the health of the neighbours there because and I know when I've seen it physically that the, the, the neighbour has, you know, even I, I thought to win board when all the rules in their favour, it, it just lit them up and they, 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 they flourished after. So now we're back to square one again. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you alluded to, uh, to you alluded to it there, Andy, but the elephant in the room is the impact on health and when you have a principal of the local school coming out, and, you know, expressing concern about the health impact of this as well. It has to be taken seriously, has it not? Yes, like and I said, the WHO will say there's no implications. And, and I know the school, there's two schools in Cashel, like in Cashel or in Newin. And Newin was a, a very vibrant town. There was a secondary school in Newin one time as well. But even apart from that, you have a great, you have a great community in Newin between the, the Rock Rovers have teams out in all competitions and yeah. all the grades. You have a great... Um, uh, the, the watch called the, the is coming up the next week is uh, the, the the annual um, play in in the hall mm. going up. Mm. You have a lovely tennis club. Lena Rice came from Lena Rice's yeah. monument is only across the field. You poke a ball as well. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah. And then across the road, then you have, which is coming up as a talk next week or the week after, and saying, get out about the murders of, 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 of Harry Deeson and the murders of Mal- mm. And that, that barracks was taken to big, played a big part at that time in the murders of Mal Hill. And plus, as I said, a lot of money has been pumped in into the enhancement of the town or the village and the public realm that there's more to come, hopefully, because between the footpaths and the common road, over the last, only the last 10 years, and even up the middle of the islands, I know there was objection to them at the time, but they have enhanced the village and they will further enhance when things mature. They have a lovely park above there, there's lovely mm-hmm. trees passing around at the back of the rice. So it's all going on and there's a lot more to come for the wind. And the last thing we want is this shrouded pole sticking up in the middle of when they were told the last time to find an alternative and that, that alternative hasn't been sought. Yeah, it's a wonderful community uh, there as well, how they're able to get together. I see, you know, around time there when they, they put out that stuff around Halloween and all of that. You know, they work extremely well together and, uh, you know, it has a, a kind of a personality New Inn has, hasn't it, as a as a village? Yes, look, and New Inn itself, well, there was four pubs in New Inn one time. I know it's down to two now and yeah. then the two, you know, they're doing the West, they're the family-run businesses and trying to keep going the best they can, balance and raise there. And I, I, like, I remember as young that when up in Downey's was the, the old Reynard, as you remember. Yeah. Downey owned that. And I remember the young kids going up because Downey was a nurse. And at that time, doctors were few and far between. And in the evening time, if you had a knee rake around that way, it was up to Mrs. Downey. Now, there might be a few lads in the car going up from Palmuka. They might be drinking a few last bottles while you were getting your ear checked out. <laughs> you know, but Mrs. Yeah. Downey was the woman to go to. Like, and just a great community, like I said, all all that area there. It was a ride up in Wyvern Village with, with, the, with the convent, the last of the convent. We still have the girls going to buy school. Yeah. You know, the, the, the church is there, the shop is there, they are plates in the shop and trying to keep going when, when things were bad. You know, even with COVID closed and all that. But, like, people pop in there for a few messages. Yes, a, personals, of course, yeah. And plus, the cross proximity to Rockwell College. And, as I said, we've gone through two phases of funding for the care to cash at Greenway. And we've seen what Greenways have done for the likes of Kilmac Thomas and mm. the Waterford area. So we'd be hoping that it would enhance the village more and is it the fabulous side of towns group that are putting their shoulders away the last number of years and trying to enhance their village as well. So a great community, as you said, but it's just that this is just invasive. It's coming in on top of decent people who don't want it. They've expressed their interest. 77 of them last submissions. I counted this time around yesterday evening. I looked at it there, a quick look. There was over 24 or 5 on it. But I just hope for the close of business today that more people might put pen to paper yeah. and send in the submission. Because this, today is the closing date on that, Andy, isn't it? Today is the closing date. Yeah. And like the people have up to close of business today. It costs 20 quid for submission. But when this thing goes to board for all again, if you don't have a submission in, you won't have a say board for all level. But I'd be hoping look, that it won't go tonight. I hope that the planners will afford the previous decision. They have no reason not to. Mm. And the board for all will also ruin the same way. And that air will realise that they can't ride mugshot over decent people and that they'll go away and do what they were told the last time. Finally, find an alternative minute because at the end of the day, we all need our, our mobiles. The way that's the way society's gone. We all want to be logging on and linking in. So it is, it is they need to find an alternative and there are alternatives out yeah. there. But not, not in the middle, not in the middle of a village is what, what you're saying. Not in, I suppose, in the middle of the village, but it's close proximity to people's yeah. towns. This, like, this is only three foot from, 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 a, from a wall of the next door neighbour. Yeah. As I said, and our health did deteriorate, and she was on before to you on your show. Yeah. And I've seen when the, when the, the announcement came from Port Penala, how it lifted and I made him daily for walks, just coming along and walks into the Swiss walk and all these trees that as well. 
But I could see how it, how it improved their health. But now we're going back to status quo again. And people should realise, public enterprises should realise, they can't ride over normal, decent people in a community village like what they're trying to do here. All right. All right uh, good to talk to you today, Andy. Thanks and uh, good morning to you. This is Councillor Andy Maloney speaking to us uh, there. Listener says, tell Matty uh, of my farmer customers, 90% of them now pay online or by card. Farmers are not backward like he thinks. In fact, I don't think he... He indicated that. You think it's just traditionally, I suppose, some... Well, I mean, it's not just farmers use checks, but, I mean, across the board, uh, people use checks. Now, I gave up using checks myself about 25 years ago, I must admit, but uh, anyway. Uh, Teresa was on to say, uh, the RTE financial crisis, Fran, it's white-collar crime at its very best. Uh, 83 if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. There's a talk on addiction at the Source Art Centre in Thurles on the 22nd of March. Now, one of the speakers is a young Tipperary man, Dylan Cleary, Cleary who joins me now. Dylan, good morning to you. Hi, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you today. Um, I hope you're hearing me okay, Dylan. Are you? Yeah, perfect, yeah. Okay, very good indeed. Um, Tell me about your story, because it's a remarkable one, to say uh, the least. Uh, Were you brought up in in foster care, Dylan? Uh, Yeah, I was brought up in uh, foster care. uh, I was in four different places before the age of three, and then at the age of three, I was put into a placement in Tipperary, um, which lasted for 13 years. Um, And then after that, it went from... Uh, foster care to residential care um, in Limerick. And at the age of 18 then, you were I suppose tossed out uh, to the waves of the world, uh, Dylan, and you ended up in a situation where you were homeless. Is that right? Yeah, well homeless, house surfing, I suppose if you want to put it that way, um, and I suppose then, you know, it was hard enough, but that's kind of where the addiction would have stemmed from I suppose, kind of, you know, like covering up kind of past issues that I would have had, like, you know. Mm. And and tell me about the addiction. You, you were addicted to drugs, but what, what kind of drugs? Well, I, I suppose at 16 or 15, it started off something, you know, just like uh, weed, and then it, it went from that to uh, speed, and then it went from speed to cocaine, and then from cocaine, it took a big leap to heroin. And I was addicted to heroin for, what, four years, five years? Um, and got really bad on it, uh, kind of turned me into a really kind of different person. And tell me, did that lead you down the, the pathway of cri- of crime as well? Not, not so much crime, uh, if you want to put it that way, but, like, you know, it kind of it, it led to certain situations where I would have been involved, say, where there might have been, you know, a test that might have happened and I might have been just in with the person that might have done it and kind of got done as an associate. Um, but a lot of it would have been done kind of more for possession or, you know, a lot of things with them were kind of bench warrants and stuff like that. And that kind of built up a kind of a, a history of bench warrants for me and obviously drug use um, and possession of drugs. 
Dylan, I'll tell you what, your story is so interesting and it's just the quality of your line there is concerning me. So I'll ask Doc to get you back on another line and we'll see if we can improve that in some sort of a fashion. Um, uh, one of our listeners saying, um, well, one of our listeners is very concerned indeed about the number of masts around Clonmel and uh, making the point that airwaves must be full of all types of carrier waves when you think about it. I personally would object to them and I empathise with any community in the situation that Nguyen is in. Planning is still a mess in this country, full stop. Yeah, but you see, you know, is there an element of hypocrisy about this? Because it's in, you know, not in my backyard, but it has to be in somebody's backyard because as Andy was making the point, we still want excellent reception for our phones and we want excellent reception for our our laptops and our computers and we want Wi-Fi and we want all of these things but not in our backyard I suppose. So um, yeah, how do you feel about that? 083 311 and we'd be glad to hear from you where that is concerned. Um, Somebody else saying it's a thundering disgrace Fran what's going on in RTE. I've paid my licence for the past uh, 41 years uh, but from now on, I will not pay my licence anymore. I can't understand why D Forbes cannot uh, be summoned to the committee. And uh, Fran, if you did something wrong in Tip FM, you'd be hauled in to answer questions. I know her solicitor and her doctors have sent in notes, but Fran, at the end of the day, they have to do what their clients ask them to do. It's a complete farce, to be honest, says Jody to us today. All right, let's go back to uh, Dylan. Dylan, good morning to you. Hi, Fran. I hope uh, that's a bit better now. That, that's a bit better now, Dylan, and thank you indeed for, for hanging on for us there. Uh, you were talking to me about, you know, this possibly leading you to, to crime, but you're saying that, that wasn't a huge issue for you, was it? Um, not not necessarily, no. You know, I suppose uh, at the end of the day, you know, my main concern and main goal would be always kind of receiving or taking the drug that I would have needed and kind of keeping myself well from being sick from drugs. And it was it was never something that I was interested in, I suppose. But, like, a lot of the the charges I would have got, as I said, would have been, like, bench warrants from missing court, um, you know, kind of possession here and there, you know, kind of have more bench warrants charges than I would have had possessions. But it still kind of stands against me to this day. What about you coming to the conclusion then that, you know, you, you had to stop doing drugs if you were to stay alive, I suppose. How did you come to, to that, Dylan? Well, I suppose I suppose two or maybe two years into it, I was kind of getting to the stage where I was completely sick of it. Um, and, you know, I saw what it was doing to me and even the people around me, but also, I suppose, the problems that it was causing my family. Um, and the hurt that it would have been causing them to see me in that space. But, you know, it kind of, what well, started for me was a sickness. Um, I got really sick. Um, I was actually rushed to hospital in Limerick. Um, it was discovered that I had pneumonia and two blood clots and a blood infection. And the blood clots and pneumonia were in my chest. Uh-huh. And I was for four months. Um and and what about coming off drugs then? I mean, I I read an article where you said you came off cold turkey. Yeah, I I completely everything gave everything up when the day I went into hospital. That was my decision made because I kind of saw that I went from being a normal healthy person that would have been thirteen fourteen stone to being someone that was very skinny and shook, and that went from thirteen fourteen stone down to six and a half seven stone, um, and 
in hospital, I just decided enough was enough. Um, and the way I looked at it is after three, four months in the hospital, if I was able to do it for three or four months, I'd be able to do it for another three or four months. And thankfully that's gone to four years now. So, which, you know. which is fantastic. You must have come to some conclusions, though, about the services that are out there. And from again, from reading about you, I think you're concerned that there's not joined up thinking be- between various services. Is that fair to say? Yeah, well, look, you know, I suppose, like, the services kind of, like, you know, the foster system particularly will let people down or the residential kind of touch that they're, they're not designed properly. Um, there's no set program around it um, and I think I read something that 70% of people that go into care end up in addiction uh, throughout their life and 40% of them would be considered to have a substance disorder um, so you know I kind of I, I like even with the services for people in addiction like you know obviously you have Annalise which are a great um, they're a great service you know they, mm. they do needle exchanges and they do they give out other you know drug paraphernalia to help people and help people get into treatment and stuff like that and I never went into treatment myself so I actually can talk about treatment centres and um, that's why I thought on the night I have Ashiree yes. um, there to talk about it because I don't know too much about it You're in the process of writing a book I think you've been in the process of writing a book for for quite some time What what can we expect from that book do you think Dylan? Well look the book it was aimed more at telling my story from like an early child to to adulthood and kind of everything in between and kind of went into the the drug side of it um, and the kind of person that I went from turned into another person and came back to the person after I gave up addiction and drugs and it kind of just kind of shows kind of the science behind addiction um, and of the services that are out there for people that they can be helped by the services if they just reach out and look for the services. I think you'll also be delving into the notion that, you know, people who are drug addicts are perceived to be just junkies and almost a lesser form of life in some way. Was that your experience? Very much so, you know, like People don't look at a person in addiction and consider them a human being. They look at them and consider them, you know, like a piece of dirt in the ground, for one way of putting it. Like, and there's a lot of stigma behind people in addiction and kind of, you know, like as you said, you know, they, people will be called junkies or waste spaces or, you know, there's a lot of nasty things. And I suppose my aim as well is to make people in the general public understand addiction and how it affects and kind of the science behind addiction and help them understand that person doesn't willingly go into addiction. It's more of a cover-up or, you know, kind of hide away. Yeah, I'm always sort of aghast at the idea that there's not joined up thinking where mental health and drug addiction is concerned, you know, dual diagnosis in some way, because, you know, it seems that you're treated separately for for both when often they they feed into each other, Dylan? Yeah, well, I know when I was in addiction, I, I did attempt suicide a few times and thankfully failed, but, you know, it, it kind of puts you, I suppose, when the general public look at you as a waste of space, your family don't necessarily want anything to do with you and your own thinking then is that you're kind of, you know, you're not, like, part of the general population anymore. You're part of this 
smaller population of people that are in the same problem, you know. Yes. It's, it's like, and the services aren't out there. You're supposed to be going to hospital, you're shoved to one side, or, you know, if you go to look for mental health services, there's, there's not really any services that will help, kind of, you know. I know for under 18, there is Jigsaw, but they, they, they are very limited resources as well, like, you know. And uh, we keep hearing about that all of the time, how limited uh, the resources are, particularly for younger people out there. I think uh, from an ambition point of view, you want to send up, set up some sort of resource centre because you feel you'd bring something special to it in that, I mean, you have all of the uh, the, the life experience of being an addict. Well, like, I suppose in a sense, you know, people can go into college and they can get trained under addiction studies or social care, but they'll never really understand addiction truly like a person in addiction would. And as I've lived it, I understand it really well. And, you know, I suppose for my resource centre, my goal was to kind of set it up with kind of a few psychologists and my partner as well, who is actually into equine. And so I was kind of going to bring in the, the equine therapy into it as well for people in addiction to kind of give them that friend through horse as well. And uh, speaking of animals as well, you're involved with therapy dogs. Will, will you explain that to me? Yeah, well, when I first came off the drug, I, I, I've seen um, a friend of mine, a friend of mine, House, uh, Stephen is his name, and he introduced me to a, a wonderful lady called Susan, and she was involved with Pata Therapy Dog Ireland, and I actually had rescued a lovely greyhound from the Ross Grey SPCA. Um, and his name was Sam, and he was lovely, and he was a true friend. And Susan then got me involved in PATA, and I suppose I spent my time kind of volunteering, going into nursing homes and going around to schools with children with autism and different problems and kind of giving them the time with the dog as kind of a dear friend and taking away the stress of life through therapy of animals. Well, it's very interesting, and apologies to listeners out there because you're, you're obviously in a very noisy place there, but the talk is happening at the Art Centre in Thurlis, the source, on the 22nd of March, and I know that if you want to book uh, seats for that, 083-343-6815, and Dylan will be there along with uh, representatives of Ash Iree in uh, care, of course, and uh, Cool Mine. Uh, treatment centre as well. And Anna Liffey as well. Actually, I think two minds now have dropped out and it's Anna Liffey that have took over from them and tickets are also available uh, on Eventbrite as well uh, through the name Addiction and Me, Talking Addiction and they're priced at €15 each and all bodies are going to charity. All right, very good indeed. Well, good to talk to you today and we wish you well, Dylan. Thanks very much indeed. That's a young Tipperary man, Dylan Cleary, who has... um, well, he's managed to, to battle addiction and come out the right side of that and is making himself available now to help others, which is uh, fantastic and very commendable. And, uh, commendable. and again, uh, apologies there about uh, the uh, the noise in the background, but it turns out that um, uh, Dylan was in a coffee shop that was rather boisterous there. Um, if you're affected indeed by anything mentioned in our conversation there with uh, Dylan, uh, Samaritan's Ireland, 
are available 24 hours a day on 116123. So that's 116123. Uh, Fran, it says here, it's not drug users that are stigmatised. It's the ones causing antisocial behaviour in the estates. And they give everybody a bad name, says K to us today on 083 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Well, listener is very cross indeed, saying if they take the TV licence money out of my wages, I'll give up working. It's as simple as that. Um, I'm bursting my you-know-what for absolutely nothing. Working for the government is all we taxpayers are doing. It won't stop. Are all the uh, immigrants paying TV licences? I don't think so. There are people living in this country for flat uh, free. Uh, I know this for a fact with the nice houses and the rest. I'm struggling, even though I have a full-time job. I'm just fed up of it. This is one of our listeners. And then the emojis there, uh, very cross little faces there indeed. Reading today, it's kind of interesting to read some of this stuff. Scientists have grown beef cells in rice grains for the first time, resulting in what they describe as a nutritious and flavourful hybrid food. And researchers in South Korea, they said that their cultured beef rice could offer a more affordable protein food source with a smaller carbon footprint. And they're saying that their hybrid rice has 8% more protein, 7% more fat than regular rice. And the scientists said that for every 100 G of uh, protein produced, hybrid rice is estimated to release less than 6.27 kg of carbon dioxide, while beef releases eight times more. And they said if their hybrid rice was to be commercialised, it would cost about uh, €2 a kg, while beef is more than six times more expensive at €13 a kg. I, I I think I might just stick to the beef, though. For some reason or other. I wonder why. Anyway, hybrid. I wonder is this the way we're going in some way that food will be created in labs and it will have less of a carbon footprint and all of that kind of thing. I don't know. What's happened? Is the world gone mad or what? 1800-938-007. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800-938-007, a free phone number if you want to have a word with uh, Doc. You can uh, text and WhatsApp 083-311-3311. The email address is tiptoday at tipfm.com. Listen around to say good morning, Fran. I enjoy your programme, but 40 years ago, I was brought to court for not having a TV licence. My husband had died and I had three very young children. I was in receipt of £72 a week and I was struggling to pay the licence on time. And that was the only time it happened. I never missed one uh, before or after. But I'm holding back paying it now as it makes my blood boil with what's happening in RTE. It's a complete and utter joke. 
This is one of our listeners on 0833113311. Now it's time for our GP, Dr. Pat Harold. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Fran. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed. You're going to talk to us about preventing falls today, Pat. I am, yeah. Um, in, in, I, I had the pleasure of talking to the falls class in uh, St. John's Church in T.O. and one by the physiotherapist in the hospital and in primary care um, yesterday. And after a great bunch, I was really, we really had a really enjoyable time. And they listened to you, Frank. Oh, God. So, so I thought we'd, we'd keep it going and talk about falls because, as we know, falls are, this is the game changer. You know, they, they don't matter too much when you're sort of 15 or you know, you could be playing rugby or whatever you like and get bashed and battered and fall. Well, as you get older, your bones get thinner. And, um, and uh, you know, if you fall and you do the hip or you do the hand, um, the wrist, you know, that's called um, the collis fracture. It, it, it can be a complete change and change your life, really. So I just a few of the things we discussed yesterday. One thing is um, uh, this is the time of year when we should really be careful outside. Because yes. all the paths are slimy and slippery, and after the winter we haven't gone, and then you, you might start popping out into the garden. The paths are really dangerous. You yes. Know? So um, my plant treatment for all the, the gardening specialist is always when our gardening class always says, "Don't make sure your gutters are clear, and that all the leaves and things are swept up. And if you have to pay someone to do it, you know, mm. get get make sure that the, the garden isn't a hazard." because you don't want to, to fall on that. And indoors, um, we always look and check for loose rugs and mats. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's... A, people have the habit of putting them down and then you could just go flying. Um, it's always... Uh, it, it's actually reduced clutter in the home is the advice. Now, I, I, I'm deeply suspicious of cluttering. It generally means people telling me to throw out, you know, bits of guitars and books and things <laughs> I, I dearly love, you know. But, um, yes. but, you know, if you've got a big pile of stuff that you're walking around, you know, it's amazing. I often I often go to houses of people in the sort of the older age group and the way they skip through the hazards is amazing. You know, the cupboard door could be open and they talk under it. And, but the, the cables and wires, things like heaters and plug-in things and all that, and it sounds a bit basic, you know, I mm. mean, but if, if next time you're in the house with somebody and you see something like a, a wire trailing across the carpet, you know, it's very... Um, it, they're very dangerous yeah. and the lighting is another thing um, people who are, are I'm, I'm really addressing this to people who are knocking on a bit in years they have a bit of an aversion to turn it on like you know they were kind of brought up in the days when you find it electricity and things like that <laughs> yeah it's so, so true it really isn't it yeah. Yeah. oh absolutely yeah. and you can walk in the cat and the yes. next thing you're down and you're yeah. being taken into hospital you know so that's um, yeah. that's the thing and the, and if it always you can go there's the falls prevention people. The public health nurse is a good place to start. If somebody is you can get an occupational therapist, a physiotherapist, um, they can come to your house and assess it. And you know the the grab rails and the handrails. Mm. It could be something at the top of the stairs you can kind of swing around and all that kind of stuff. Um and uh you know, what you really probably do is you want to live independently as long as you can. Mm. And the fall is a game changer. And that gets you on to your... Oh, yeah, and I just want to say before I forget it, if you do, um, the all-alarms are a great thing. Now, alone, we talked about alone last time I was on the yeah. show, and they're they're very good at getting people um, alone or the, the just look them up. You know what they do? Mm. They help older people. But alone are very good at getting all kinds of alarms, alarms and things. And some of them are quite sophisticated. You know, you can wear them down in the farm looking at the yeah. cows. And yeah. If you fall down and you stop moving, people are alerted. You know, 
so it's not you're not oh, yeah. stuck to the house. A lot of people keep the alarms in a drawer. You know, so they're on the floor and they can't reach God. the drawer. But they are very important and it means it gives peace of mind to your family as well. They know that you're not, you haven't been on the floor overnight because that's um, terribly damaged to your health. You get a thing called rhabdomyolysis and it's, um, it's, it's just not, not good news. So you don't, apart from the stress and the fear and the pain and all that. And the other thing to work on, Brian, is your fitness. And um, yeah. if you and and working on, and this is what the falls class are working on yesterday with the physiotherapist, and there's so much um, advice out there at the moment and videos and YouTube, but it's basically working on your muscle strength and your balance. Mm. And um, you know, it, 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 as we all know, a good indicator for health is if you can stand on one leg for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a great indicator of how fit you are. And but. Uh, it, Work on your your balance and your fitness and fitness programs and anything like that, anything like that. Just available. It. It's always prevention is always better than cure. You do these things before you need them instead of when you do need them. For sure. I remember years ago here we brought in a health and safety expert and I was kind of throwing my eyes up to heaven at the notion of somebody coming in with health and safety. But they pointed out stuff like you say, Pat, that we had been stepping over for years and just avoiding and taking it as the norm. Do you know. Oh, oh, absolutely. We we do that all the time. Yeah. Um, and and I I'm just health and safety experts. I don't know. I think they're they're you know sometimes you do have to listen to. Them. Yeah. No, but, yeah. Yeah. There's other things to your medication. Um, that was one of the things we we're talking about yesterday. You you might have been pre- prescribed, for instance, a blood pressure tablet when you were like 14 stone and in the whole of your health, and now you might be older and you might be set. You know, 11 stone or something mm, and mm. a little bit frailer. Your liver and your kidneys aren't processing it the way they were. And the analogy I used yesterday was, you know, when you went out and you were young and you could drink 10 pints and you hop up in the morning, it wouldn't be a bother on you. Because mm. your great liver and kidneys to process all the medication, but you don't process it as much nowadays And um, because as you get older. So the blood pressure tablets might be far too strong for you. Ah. So when you stand up, you get this little dizzy feeling, you know, like you're going to faint. And that's called postural hypotension. And that means that your um, your blood pressure drops when you stand. And um, alert your doctor to this because we don't we only can go with what we're told. Mm, mm. And um, a lot of people, it's quite dramatic. You know, you take the blood pressure sitting and then you stand up and it drops. So that's just to adjust the medication. Um, and any new medication you're started on can sometimes react with the old medication you're on. And there's a thing I won't go into it. It's kind of difficult to do in radio because you're anticholinergic burden, but that makes me more likely to fall. And also anyone on sleeping tablets. Now a lot of people have been started on sleeping tablets years ago, years yes. ago, and they're, yeah. they're stuck on them. You know, yeah. it's very difficult to stop. But they mightn't quite need the dose they were getting 25 years ago. They might do fine with a smaller dose. Well, we try not to get anyone on sleeping tablets mm. these days, mm. but they didn't know as much back then. But um, you might need the full whacking dose of 20 milligrams of whatever, you know. You might get by a grand and five. And because mm. all these things accumulate and there's a thing called a hangover effect and you're more likely to fall in the morning or be dopey in the morning. Yeah. And and also make sure, talk up to your doctor about your bone health. You know, if you haven't had a dick or if, you're, if you've had a load of steroids or something in the past, your bones might be thin. And um, you'd, you'd be as well to know it. Yeah, it's interesting. Reviewing the medication is a good idea, I suppose, every so often anyway, Pat. 
Yeah, but it's all the business now is the deep prescribe, really, because I remember um, Dr. Lamas in the hospital years ago. He was a great doctor. He used to look, and if you were on more than seven medications, he, he reckoned, you know, now some people can't help it. They're, mm-hmm. they're chronic conditions. They're on more than seven. But anything like that, all the tablets sort of start interacting with each other. And at the moment, we're looking to deep prescribe. So most people in the sort of the older age group are brought in regularly for the chronic disease management and the chronic disease management we look at the medications and we see can we stop this can we reduce that can we do without it's, it's all about doing without now I'm not telling anyone to stop anything mm, they're yes, wrong of course. at all I'm not saying that slightest. but you could certainly look and see you know the ones that you know, diuretics for instance they're the ones that make you pee mm. sometimes people are started in those because their ankles swelled a bit years ago you know it might have been hot weather or something and they can be left on it they can be on it for 10 years later and nobody wow. can remember why they were started on it and the other big one that happened is you go into hospital and you know and it's bright and it's just uncomfortable and you can't sleep at all so they put you on the sleeping tablet so when you're coming out, your list of medications is there and it might go to the chemist and they might have a sleeping tablet. And then you go to the chemist and you're taking that for a month and then you're hooked. You know, so um, wow. these are all the things we all look out for. When yeah, look and, and do you ever prescribe sleeping tablets now, Pat, at all? Oh, I try not to. Do you not? I really yeah. try not to because yeah. um, they're just too addictive. Yeah, they are, for sure. You know, yeah. It's like smoking. You think, you know, that'll never happen to me, sure. You know, I get hooked in those things, and next thing you can't live without them, you know. So, um, I mean, I'm not saying they have no place whatsoever. Mm. But, but, but uh, they were so prevalent years ago that people, were, you're, you're right, they were on, on them for decades in some cases. You know? Oh, decades. And, and the, the, the generation who you see in their 80s, you know, yeah. an awful lot of them were on them. So, look, we... we it isn't easy to stop, but we'll, we'll, we'll work yeah. with someone who wanted to stop them and certainly reduce them as much as you can. Somebody wondering about strengthening your bones and what would Pat recommend for that? So, Exercise, exercise, exercise. Oh, and, it's called, oh, wow. it's, yeah. and it's weight-bearing exercise. Um, I, I, you get to the stage where you need a bit of um, muscle exercise. Walking is brilliant. Walking is great for your for so many things mm. and your core strength and everything but you want to work that upper body and the lower body so gentle weights are absolutely great and there's elastic band things too you can use um, they're yes. great for strengthening the muscle um, you know most um, physiotherapists now have fitness courses and things like mm. that that would show you how to do it the other thing is some people if you have osteoporosis you need to go on medication for your bone and it's to preserve your bone health you know you've, you've lost a so much. I mean, it's that the bones are light, so if you fall, they break. They look the same as anybody else's, but it's only if you get a crack or a bang, and that's when they break easily. They're fragile, so um, they're like a bit of wood, you know. Mm. The wood can look great, and you get a tap and it falls to pieces if it's old. It's a bit like that, but um, you can always talk about going on medication for osteoporosis, and, and there's stuff out there. There's an injection you can get every six months. And that's, you just rock up and get it every six months. And of course, vitamin D. Everybody should be on vitamin D. Um, I don't care at this stage, you know, but we're, we're not going to get enough sunshine no. to um, to do it. Yeah, yeah, of course. You're also going to talk to us a little bit about obesity because it seems to be globally a, a huge issue at the moment. Are, are you seeing a lot of obesity, Pat? Right, it is, and and you know I'm going to be sensed. I'm going to try and be sensitive about this mm. because I absolutely hate um, upsetting people yeah. talking about weight. Because honest to God, it's it's not easy. You know, um, I was talking to a good friend of yours and mine this morning about it. I thought he was going to talk about obesity in the, the radio, and he said his problem isn't his weight; it's his height. He said if he was six foot eight, 
he'd um, he'd be a perfect weight. Yeah, but he's not. But the, look, uh, uh, you know, in two thousand and twenty, two point six billion people worldwide were overweight or obese, wow. and that's thirty eight percent of the world's population. So when we were growing up, it was all about the starving children, and they're still there. God bless them. Yeah. But you know, there's it, the it's kind of gone the other way, and they reckon by two thousand and thirty five, if we keep going the way we're going, and there's no sign that we're not going to fifty one percent of the people on Earth are going to be overweight or obese. That's um, you know, which is which is mad. And and does it have a does it do you any harm? Well, looking at the weight and the BMI is one thing. Looking at what's called your visceral fat. You know, mm. the weight around your middle. And the GPs have all started measuring people with tape measures now. I mean, the patients hate it. You know, the doctors kind of don't like doing it either because you mm. feel like you're measuring somebody for a suit. But it's all that visceral fat around your tummy. You can, you can be a fine old weight and be solid muscle. You know, if you've done the Aki or somebody in the scale, yeah. I'm sure he'd come across as, as sort of um, over, highly overweight. Mm. But it's, it's the fat around the thing. But... um. They, I'm just going to read this out now, Fran. They looked and saw all causes of death attributable to a high BMI in Asia were 2,329,000. And that was up on um, 265% up in 1990. Mm. And, and to break that down, that means, um, yeah, it does kill people and um, it is on the rise. And, and what is it? I mean, is it junk food, Pat? Is it a sedentary lifestyle? What what is it? All of the above. It's multifactorial. Yeah. In other words, it's a lot of things. It's no one thing really, and um, it's very rarely a medical problem. I mean, yeah. you want to check your thyroid is fine, and the Cushing syndrome. That's hardly anybody's got that. If you're immobile, if you can't move at all, you know, if or if you're in a wheelchair or something, it's very hard to keep the weight. Oh, yes. yeah. um, and the other thing is if you're there's some medications will make you put on weight usually the psychiatric ones and you know they can do it but um, for the vast majority of people it's um, it's a load of things and you're absolutely right Frank it's your genetics stress is a huge thing stress is it, um, yeah. has a big effect on your insulin and, and, thing, and, and lack of sleep if you don't get your sleep you're going to put, you're going to be hungry and you're going to eat an awful lot. And a lot of this is where you live and what you do. You know, it's sitting mm. at the desk and, as you say, and eating the wrong yeah. stuff and sticky yeah. food and all that kind of thing. And um, some people, it's, it's genetic, you know, I mean, some people just heavy families. And if you are, you know, you can be fit and kind of heavy. But, um, mm. and, and, and you know what's an awful thing too is the stigma. People ah, yeah. Yeah, bullying you and annoying you and yeah. Making cutting remarks and that kind of thing, and that really reduces your self-esteem. What, I, what I've been curious about for a long time, Pat, and you, you you mentioned it there, is that sometimes you know the drugs involved in mental health, whether it's anti-anxiety drugs or anti-depression drugs or whatever, you, you say that they can be a cause of, of uh, weight issues. But is it that they cause some some change in the body, or do they just make you eat more, Pat? What what is the story there? Most of them, um, I. Like, think. Now, and these are really generally the heavier psychiatric medications. Right. The ones for schizophrenia and things. You know, they're not the sort of the run of the bill antidepressants. All right, okay. Um, they're, I couldn't really tell you the science on it. Mm. I just know it's very hard to keep the weight off on mm. them. Yeah. But, right. um, but if people are feeling low and miserable and fat-shamed and it's something I try never to do. You know, I'm part of my job. I do have to sort of bring up people's weight from time to time. And the last thing, you just see this look in their eyes. Jesus, not this again, you know. And it, uh, you know, it, it's, it, I wouldn't blame. 
blame anyone for being heavy. I'd never mention it outside the office. Yeah, of no, course. I really wouldn't ever say that to anyone. Like, and in the office, you know, it's, it's um, you know, I still have to say to people the odd time you could lose a few pounds. And the thing is, a lot of the conditions that come into me, you know, the borderline diabetes, mm. the um, high blood pressure, all that, if they could lose a stone or two, I'm old fashioned, I still say stone, yeah, kill yeah. them, off the tummy. If they could just do that, um, you'd, it wouldn't be, you might need to go on tablets at all. Now, and this is where my family can now have the clue about um, diet and everything like that, but um, we most of us don't eat enough protein. We just don't get it. Um, hardly anybody does. Mm. But between the, getting enough protein and enough calories to live in, how you do it then doesn't really matter, but plenty of green leafy vegetables, plenty of fibre, and move, 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 exercise, 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 whatever you can yeah, it's do. It's interesting because one, one of our listeners is uh, wondering, should we go vegetarian or vegan uh, or possibly one day a week or something like that? What, what do you say to that, Pat? That's a great idea. I mean, most of the seats are too much saturated fat. If you could even go vegan or vegetarian a couple days a week, it'd be mm. great for your health. Absolutely great. Make sure you get the protein. You get protein. There's protein powders now. You know yes. what I mean? But what, when, when you say pre- protein, what exactly do you mean, Pat? Protein is um, the building blocks food, yeah. like meat, eggs, um, fish, cheese. But okay. there's plenty in beans and things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the human body isn't evolved to be eating meat three times a day, seven days a week. We're just we're just not made for you know it's just too much stuff. Yeah. And, that's, and 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 I, it all sounds very basic, but basic, basic but the fizzy drinks. They're um, they're a killer. Oh, look, you know, we're, not, we're not processed. That's, that's my well. big that's my big failure. Uh, well, one of my many failures. Um, somebody wondering, could you recommend something to help with sleep? Now, obviously, you're 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 not uh, pro sleeping tablets, Pat. But what what about that? Melatonin is very um, safe. You can get melatonin, and then there's chamomile tea. There's um, there's a, a variety of teas out there that are really good. Mm. Um, my falls prevention class yesterday came up with Ovaltine. Ovaltine? Oh, God. Old-fashioned Ovaltine. Yeah. That's, that's, that's there the things. Um, I myself really like, and I do this if I'm on flights or anything like that, on the phone, pop-up YouTube video, hypnosis, put in your... Um, there's loads of them there to help you sleep. Mm. Uh, meditation, countdown things, pop in the earphone, and I guarantee you, you'll be there in the first five minutes thinking this one is really annoying voice. They're American, they're all good. And then you just, <laughs> somebody's shaking you awake and saying, what happens? <laughs> I love I, it. They're just so accessible and they're so easy. They're absolutely great. And you'll wake up feeling as bright as a button. Yeah, I you try. Know? And I, in fact, I, if everybody did that, yeah. had a sort of a meditate and a wee nap, or three times a week if you clear the space after lunch the siesta it's a it's a great effect on your on your stress on your brain it's like the brain is like a washing machine you know or more like a dishwasher it kind of goes and it cleans your brain and, and sleep at night time and it just or in the daytime of the siesta and you feel great and it has a really good effect on your weight the less you sleep, the heavier you'll be. The whole sleep thing is taken off here hugely. Somebody's saying, I only sleep two to four hours a night. I have a very active lifestyle, gardening, etc. Uh, would you ask, Dr. Pat, is a lack of sleep dangerous? I'm 69 and 8 stone and in very good health. It sounds like you're flying spot, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah, Maggie Thatcher famously stepped for right so we can. Or four hours at night. Yeah, um, yeah. But she 
Look, it's not good for your brain, basically. It isn't. Um, I, I mean, that's the way you, you rock, and it would be very difficult to sort it out on the radio, but um, mm. it, 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 there is a, a tie-in with, um, I hate to say it to this, but there is a tie-in with Alzheimer's. Um, oh. They seem to think that you do need that sleep time and dreaming time to um, repair the brain, you know. That's very interesting. So, Just two quick ones, Pat, if you would. Uh, when you asked Dr. Pat, I got a cramp in my leg three days ago. The pain is unreal since. It's in my calf. Uh, wondering about some advice on that. Well, I would get that seen for two reasons. When you get a crack in the leg, um, you might have a crack in the bone. I don't know what stage No, it's a cramp. Sorry, Pat. It's oh, a cramp. cramp. Yes. Mm. Right. So, um, that's but I, anything lower leg, the calf, You'd be very careful about what's called a DVT, deep venous thrombosis, which is a clot, basically. Oh, and the okay. clot can go and migrate to your lungs and very dangerous. So you need to get so that seen too. I would see, get that seen today. Yeah, and just a, a quick one. Is it sufficient to take caltrate tablets if diagnosed with osteoporosis? That's from Colette. Um, caltrate is um, morphostopenia, which is kind of the milder version of osteoporosis. But um, you'd, you'd want to talk to your doctor. Okay. You know, there are yeah. up the ways, but you might be too bad. That might be sufficient. Okay. Um, just uh, at the top of my head, I think it'd be, it'd be, I, I don't know. It depends how bad you are, really, is the answer. Pat, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for taking time out for us, Pat. Thank you. Great to talk to you as usual. Thank you. That's our GP, the very popular uh, Dr. Pat Harold in Nina today. We'll take a break. Now, my friend Joe Noble always makes me laugh, even when she's talking about something serious. But she texts me to say, good morning, Fran. I was in Tullamore Hospital last Friday week, and the surgeon told me that a bit of weight is good when one has hip problems. Uh, He told me that it cushions the hip. Not a big heap now. (laughs) So I came out a happy camper. That's in from Joe. To hello, Joe, and we wish you well, and I hope you're doing okay. Patrick was on to say, there's a spray that you can get in boots, and it puts a mist on your pillow, and it gives you a great night's sleep. Thanks for that, Patrick. Even though I think, I think I tried that some years ago. I didn't find it any good now, but I know a lot of people uh, do. And uh, I was talking to you earlier on about a piece in the Indo today where scientists predict uh, a world of possibilities after they grew beef cells in rice to create what they're describing as a nutritious hybrid. Now I'm looking at a picture of it here and it does it doesn't look in the least bit nutritious to me. But anyway, Brian was on to say, Fran, like you, I'll stick to real beef. The World Economic Forum want all the people to eat insects and lab-produced food so they have control of the food chains. They, on the other hand, will still Enjoy the very best of everything. They even got an emissions exemption for private jets. Don't mistake science for truth, says Brian to us today on 0833113311. Now, over the past few weeks, we have spoken with many locals and politicians regarding the ongoing uh, situation in Ross Grey after Racket Hall was chosen as an IPA accommodation centre. Uh, Councillor Shane Lee joins me now. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, Fran, and good morning to your listeners. Great to talk to you, Shane, and thanks for coming on with me. Can you give us an update, Shane? What is the situation around Racket Hall and in Ross Grey um, now? Yes, Fran, I suppose. Well, just to say that um, the people of Ross Grey are still protesting at the Racket Hall Hotel. um, And as late as last night, we still have people that are being brought to the hotel by taxis. 
um, now is the situation of the transportation that they're bringing these people to Ross Grey in. So I suppose just to say that, you know, the emotions are still very high amongst people um, in the town of Ross Grey um, and there's still a lot of people that are very, very angry mm. because of different reasons, I suppose, Frank, to say from the outset. Um, and I just want to say, I suppose, as an elected representative, that I have contacted the minister on a, on a few different occasions now and I'm still following on from previous radio shows with you um, calling on the minister to come and meet the elected representatives and members of the community. And have you heard um, anything recently from the minister or from the Department of Integration? Have you heard anything there, Shane? Well, personally, Fran, I haven't heard mm. anything from the minister. Um, just an acknowledgement of my emails that has been sent. And as late as yesterday, I forwarded another email to the minister following up on previous emails that I had sent to him. So I suppose, you know, I have been representing the people of Osprey and representing what I felt was right to do um, in relation to all this. Mm. And I'm being asked questions, and I suppose when I'm being asked questions, I need to have answers, because that's what we're elected to do as, as, as public representatives, is to answer the questions that we've been asked from the people that we've been representing. And you, you say you the know, people so are coming by taxi now. Are they are they going in the, the, the front gate there where the protesters are, Shane? And if so, yes. are, what, what's happening there then? Are they... Well, look, Fran, what I would say to you is, um, yes, they have been brought by taxis um, and there's a huge amount of concern around that. Um, being mm. reported to me by the people that are at the Racket Hall, um, some of the taxis are not displaying their taxi badge um, that they put on top of their cars. Um, it has been reported to me that a lot of the families being brought, there's no child seats in the car where the children are, are in the cars. Um, and the behaviour of, 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 of what's being said is not very pleasant. You know, and I got a phone call. And I got just explain, calls, sorry, Shane. Just explain that to me now. Who was saying what? That is unpleasant. What? What? Well, like what I would say, Fran, is like I, I was supposed to have a, li- a liaison officer within the hotel, yes. and there was seen an accusation made by that individual um, during the week, stating that he had been speaking with the protesters and been speaking with an individual that I won't name on your show mm-hmm. on a few different occasions. You know, and that's far from the truth. My understanding is, from speaking to that person that he's spoken to that individual once and has right. never spoken to the protesters. So, you know, there's a huge and amount of... are the of, protesters, um, are they stopping the, 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 the taxis going in or or what? Well, look, I suppose, Fran, as I've said to you, we're into the fifth week of this protest now. And as I said to you from the outset, there's a huge amount of emotion and anger. And I suppose what sparked a lot of emotion is we're after having a few different things that has happened over the last number of days in Ross Grey mm. that has irritated people furthermore. Um, and one being... When you have mums um, or, or dads in this situation that are standing at, at a peaceful protest in Ross Grey and the witness children being brought into the hotel by taxis and what has been reported to me was that there has been no child seat there, that's irritating people more. Also, we see what I would class as, like, if, if the government and, and the department are so serious about this, you know, the spending of money bringing taxis one after another to this area is really irritating people more. You know, and, and people are getting really annoyed by all of that type right. of stuff. But, but um, I understand that some people have gotten on to tell me, Shane, and I'm wondering about your take on this, you know, that the numbers of people protesting now diminishing completely and that people aren't taking it seriously anymore locally, the protest. Well, Fran, I beg to differ in relation to that and I have to reject that comment because I was called out to a gathering here um, midweek and there was a good number of people that had gathered again. When I go down to town, I meet people in my own community. I'm being stopped, and people are are saying to me that while they might not be at the racket hall, that 
the, they still support everything that's happening and the movement of the protest that has been happening. So at there's the still local concerns, Shane. You're saying to me, yeah. Fran, I can honestly say, um, you know, I, I'm 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 in this community a long time, and I've a family in this community in this town of Rossgrey. It's one of the most serious things that has come to the fore. And I suppose for I, as a public representative, and I have been relaying this back, I have never seen so much um, annoyance, upset, hurt. As late as yesterday, friend, I had two or three different phone calls from grown-up women prying on the end of the phone to me that they feel powerless as to what's been happening. And I don't hear anybody talking about these people, friend, that have been here, as I said, into the fifth week. Women crying, physically crying. Other women here in Ross Grey wrapping their arms around them, trying to bring them back together. Like, the hurt and the pain that this has been causing people in Ross Grey is just absolutely scandalous. And still to this date, we have a minister that's turning a blind eye and refusing to come, refusing to come and meet the people and just explain what's going on. Like, we're also, I'm hearing in the last number of days where people are looking for a cap on this. You know, but, like, the thing about it is, when you have someone completely and teetotally rejecting everything that's been put forward to them, Honest to Christ, how do you think people are going to feel? How do you feel about... Uh, I mean, one of the things that emerged from Ross Gray and the protest in Ross Gray was a complete and absolute lack of communication. And, you know, people right across the board had to hold their hands up and say that that was the case. And then we hear in the last 24 hours that the largest hotel in Drogheda is to be converted into a centre for asylum seekers. And once again, we're hearing almost identical uh, rhetoric that you know, local politicians like yourself, and nobody was told until the very, very last minute, even though negotiations was going on for six months. Um, how, how do you feel about that? Yes, well, obviously, friend, look, I suppose, and I go back to the time where we actually got a commitment, I've said it on your show before, where we got a commitment from the department and the minister um, in relation to Ross Grey that that was going to be the final, you know, integration of people into our community that we have been welcoming into Ross Grey. But I suppose when I read them uh, as late as last night when you speak about Drogheda, you know, a deprived area, disadvantaged area as well. And they're going in and taking the hotel there. And I understand it's the second hotel. Mm. Like, I suppose, when I'm not one for spooking people, but I'm genuinely, genuinely starting to get concerned um, as the way everything like this has been handled. Mm. It's been handled inappropriate. Um, you know, there's no communication. Um, there's no understanding of it. Um, you know, like, I suppose, in, in life, us as politicians, we have a responsibility. And our responsibility is to represent the people that vote for us to represent them. You know, and sometimes, you know, you have controversy, you have things like this, and you can't go running from controversy. Yeah, and you know, you, and you know that you were, you were slated in some quarters um, for your stance and for, you know, for standing by the people at the, the protest there. You, you, you got some flack for that. Yeah, but look, friend, look, to be honest, I, I'm a bigger person than that. I don't go looking for sympathy or crying for sympathy or taking social media looking for sympathy. Um, that's not what I'm about. I'm about representing the people that put me there to represent them. And I go by my beliefs and, my, and what I think is right. You know, and I've always said it from the outset, um, since I have been starting to speak to you on your show in relation to this man, that I stand by my principles and I stand by fairness and I stand by balance. And I've said it from the outset that we haven't been getting fairness and we haven't been getting balance because Ross Gray has been playing his part. And as I said before, we've been integrating people in society for the last 25 years. 
you know, so like for mm. people to say that about me, like let's come and meet, come and meet me. I, I, I'm willing to meet anybody, friend. I'll come and meet the people in the racket hall. I'll come and meet the people in Australia. And don't be sitting being keyboard warriors commenting on stuff mm. that you have no understanding about and because so, obviously speak, there's some sort of an agenda. Speaking of keyboard warriors, and I, I presume you would completely condemn um, what's been happening to Councillor Michael Smith because he's come out and he said that himself and his family, a victim of you know, hate stuff and all sorts of commentary and, you know, really unfortunate stuff that's happening out there. I presume you would condemn that, Shane. Yeah, but look, I suppose for, for, for and I, I don't like getting dragged into anyone as a business friend, but I suppose that's an issue that the councillors probably should bring to the attention of the Gardaí and have it dealt with in that manner. You know, if, if someone's making such serious accusations to anybody, I suppose, isn't that a time to bring it to the attention of the Gardaí? Well, I presume you know, that, so, that he, he probably did uh, do so, but it really is unfortunate that it's come down to that, is <laughs> Look, as I said, like the emotions are, are very high, and, and I suppose we have to appreciate that. And people have different beliefs, and people have different things going on in their own lives, you know. So, like, as like, it's very, very sensitive. That's that's the word I'd use. It's very sensitive, and as I said, there's a huge amount of emotion around it. And as I said, it's like when I see growing up ladies here and getting phone calls from them, crying on them the phone to me. Mm. Like that's not something that I want to be dealing with, friend, and that's not something that they want to be dealing with. Mm. You know, this is causing huge, huge hurt. And, and specifically, Shane, for people out for people outside of Rose Grey, specifically, what is upsetting them so much? Well, what's upsetting them so much, Fran, is that like we like this is the, the third, and people are saying it's probably the fourth um, premises in Rose Grey that has been um, integrating mm. people into society, yes. being the IPA of Ukrainian families. You know, and, and like, it's causing hurt in the sense that, you know, the town, people feel, like, look, I'll give an example. You've seen it, and everybody has seen it, and as reported during the week, we had an incident took place last weekend where there was someone six times over the limit, no tax, no insurance on a car, and was carrying a knife. Now, I'm not going to get too much into detail to that, but for your listeners this morning, um, I'm, I, I have to say that. I was reported to me this morning that an, a, a lady was out with a child last night in a shopping centre, and it was the word was used, look, I'm using an assumption, but basically she felt intimidated and felt that there was someone in a space close to her that shouldn't have been in that space without getting into too much detail. So we've all these little things happening. And like when I hear people coming to me in my community, men and women, and saying that, look, this is happening or that's happening, I have to react to that, thing Because that's my responsibility as an elected representative. You know, and like I said, communities are built on, on many years of hard work and getting together and months, you know, and people feel that the community has been just disregarded by the government. And as I said, the only community, or the only hotel we had in Ross Grey mm. has been removed from us overnight by the strike of and, the pen. And, and Shane, government. have you had any further information on that idea about a community hotel there where Damer House was, or the Pathé, as I would remember it? Or Have you had any more information on that? Well, just to say, friend, that I would have met with the um, management of Tipperary County Council as late as Monday. And my understanding is as well, I'm a county councillor and I speak at council level, that the council at this at up to Monday had not the hotel boss, as we've been hearing that the council was going to be the ones involved as one of the partnerships in this. So I just want to confirm that here to you this morning. I will say, Fran, over the last number of days and the last week maybe, that there has been people coming to both, to, to I anyway, um, as an individual, um, and saying that, you know, there are private um, people out there that are interested in stepping into that space now and trying to purchase that hotel. Yeah. So I, what I would say, I would be hoping that the government would have the understanding to allow that process happen. Because what I've been getting on the ground is that people would rather have seen a private business owner or a private mm. business. Open up a commercial hotel. hotel there. Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. And and, and I would and that's what I'm calling here this morning, Stan, for that you know, if if um we need to let that process happen. I don't want to see a reaction to what we have seen as the massive march and protest that has been happening. We don't want to see a reaction from that from politicians. You know, we need to allow the process to happen here and we need to let the like let's see where this goes. I do genuinely understand that there's people there that are genuinely interested in purchasing of that hotel and I would be hoping to allow that to happen. Right, and that, that would be very good news for, for the town indeed. Just quickly before I let you go, is there any indication that the protest might move from Racket Hall to uh, the centre of Rossgrave, which I think came up uh, at some stage, Shane? Yeah, well, look, I suppose it, it, the, 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 the men and women um, have been changing it up in, in certain um, degrees, like they had been in, in town during the week and they will be in town during the week again, I understand, coming week. And, you know, there's different things being spoken about um, as to what's going to happen next in relation to this. But I also want to say, Fran, over the last number of days and, and, and weeks in relation to this, that, you know, people are sort of protesting here as well also against government um, because they're saying enough is enough and this is the tipping of the iceberg. And I also want to say, Fran, that, you know, Further to the conversation that both we had here this morning, when you say to me that, um, you know, people are saying that people are gone away, that's far from the truth because, like, the amount of people even from outside of town um, that are not located in Rosgrave and supporting this is absolutely phenomenal in the sense that this is a massive, massive issue. And when we have government departments or government officials coming out and trying to knock it and make it look like it's bad or they're bad people, that's not happening, friend. And I genuinely see that coming from being involved in speaking to people that are at the protest or if I spend mm-hmm. a, an evening out there. I see that happen. There's a huge, huge, huge concern amongst the Irish people um, at this point. And as I said, is we have people coming out here that are from Poland, from Lithuanian. You have people coming from England. You know, you have, you have people coming from all nationalities, I suppose. That's jo- joining I in the protest, you're saying, is that it? Absolutely, 100%. All right, yeah. Absolutely. All right Shane, I must leave it there, but thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That's uh, Councillor Shane Lee there in Rossgray this morning. Well, they're telling me there was a small protest held in uh, Rossgray town by the people who were protesting at uh, the hotel on Friday and Saturday last, uh, where there was a petition signed to send to the government. They got over 500 signatures uh, in uh, the six hours that uh, the people were on the street. So the town is 100% behind the people uh, on the protests, as one of our listeners there. Somebody else telling me that there's nowhere for Ross Gray to rent in the town, um, but homeowners are going through auctioneers and filling their homes with uh, asylum seekers. And somebody here is saying it's very unfair to local people. Now, my old friend Eamon O'Dwyer is in Salahed for this week's Down Your Way programme. Here's a little taste of what you can expect this coming Saturday morning. We're here in the hideout, here in, uh, in Salahed. How are you doing, Tatumi? Me? I'm very well. I'm very enjoying the music. Bless you. It is. It's great, great entertainment and great old buzz here. You have the music regularly down here, do you? The last Sunday of every month. Okay, okay. Except for... Christmas week or whatever, we skip that one, but we'll make the best of the rest of them. We'll make the best of it, yeah. So this is what you grew up with, this kind of music for the most part, was it? It is, it is. I suppose I was a bit of the Joe Dolan and that kind of a day. So um took me from my other careers back along to that age group, so we're quite happy to be where we are. So Donny up there uh, taught you going to school? He did, he did. I remember Donny, I was uh, in fifth year when Donny arrived to the... Uh, vocational school in Tip at the time from his uh, he started out in the in the army where he trained 
to be a teacher and uh, I remember he arriving and I was class captain and we got to know one another very well along the way. Absolutely. A great guy, Johnny Cullen, no question. Top class, couldn't meet better. Great. Oh, terrific. How did you get to have this place here in, in Monard or in Solihead? Well, I suppose I changed my lifestyle a good few times along the way. I was uh, started out farming, still doing a small bit of farming, but um, I went from farming into the shopkeeping business and then I bought a pub later. So it was kind of a accidental route I took because when I went to get bigger in the farming place, um, this motorway that we're still expected to come was coming at the time. I couldn't get planning for a milking parlour. So I went back to the bank and I looked for another bit of funding and I finished up buying the shop. So my career changed without I making a plan to change. So finished up to the pub I had the interest in at the time. So I finished up buying the local pub, which is going well. Fantastic. Because the shop in Monard is doing brilliant up there for you. It is, it's going very well. It is, I must say. We have a great staff, like, uh, and it is all about your staff. Like, uh, when it comes down to, you might be a family or whatever, but it is down to having 25 or 20 odd people around you, and they all pull in their way. And I must say, I have a great staff up there. Absolutely superb. Is it run by Century, is it? Yes, I know you. It is a mate shop. It is a mate shop. Yeah, BWD would be the backers as such through the mate brand. But, um, like we have to say we've been very loyal with them back the years and it has been very good no so no so long may it last so you had no real experience in, in shops and serving customers and all of that or, uh, through your life no I suppose the day I bought the shop I'd pay a Wellington's <laughs> <laughs> so um, when I done a deal with uh, Massey Gleeson for the shop at the time um, that night that I dealt with him I was top class farming at the time I know, and a bit of machinery and things so I had a deal with yourself even in the machinery yeah, many moons ago yeah, absolutely that's terrific yeah. so, did you ever think that we'd be down recording here in the highway no I didn't think uh, things uh, take such a change yeah. 25 years on yeah. so but sure, you should always be ready for change yeah. so and you know, like you're a man that had great adventurous ideas and ideas about you and all the rest, but even to go into the pub business was probably not too easy either. No, no, it would be. It was totally, I suppose the shop took me to the pub. I just have a liking for the pub business, but it has even, the pub business has changed so much in the last few years. Like, uh, no, the rural pubs, I think, still are, there's a place for them, but the driving, the smoking ban, everything had a major effect on the pub. And like, you go to Tip Town at the minute now, you have no... Uh, you're, you're lacking how to find a taxi like as such if you're drinking there. Like, we can blame what we like, but, like, we talk about accidents on the road. Like, there's so many cars on the road, there's so many other things, facts that come into it, so you have to take it to your meters and... No. Tell me about the monument here, and I know we're going to be talking about it later on. Uh, I suppose that's a huge attraction here for the pub as well. It is, it is. And even since the bit of work was done around it and tidying up and the years that we had that was uh, from the 22 and the 19 so between it's it's uh, you'll meet more and more strangers every day coming on to see this so like i must say it is a it is an attraction it is and we have a fabulous church here in salad like uh, there's harry clark windows in the church over there they're just absolutely fabulous that uh, if it weren't your art, you wouldn't get the likes only in a few places through the country. 
So, no, we've a lot going for us. So. You're really in the centre of things right here, aren't you? Well, we have, we have a, tis, tis an area that should be built up an awful lot more because I just think, like, we have our railway track, which is the centre point of the country. From You want to go to Dublin, you want to go to Limerick, you want to go to Cork, wherever you want to go. Like, the railway station should be the way we should be. We should have a thousand houses above around us. Because, like, you can work with your computer, your phone, your laptop, go to work. Why, why not have the facility? And we have everything around us, from a school to a church to a shop to a pub to a racetrack, which we hope our racetrack is going to be developed in the next... we got planning come through in the last week for us, and there's going to be a massive spin there, hopefully all going above board. So we're looking forward to it being very proud and a golf course, which is second to none. Uh, that's great to hear a bit of optimism, is it not? And uh, that's the wonderful Down Your Way programme. You can hear that in its entirety this coming Saturday morning, just after the 10 o'clock news. Uh, news and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today, 1800 938 007. Uh, the Tip FM Year Awards. Uh, taking place this evening at the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel. The presentation of monthly awards will be followed by the announcement of the overall 2023 winner and the ceremony will be hosted by Paul Carroll and Ronan Quirk of this parish with uh, winners receiving an engraved piece from John Quirk Jewellers. And John is always on board with us uh, here at Tip FM over many, many years indeed. Uh, Tip FM's Drive Time Show with Owen Lonergan will be broadcast from the hotel this afternoon. So keep an eye on our social media channel this evening for details of the Tip FM Sports Star of the Year Awards with the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel. And thanks to all our great friends there at uh, the Talbot, particularly Laura, who was always on board with the various uh, Tip FM projects over the years. So it should be a fantastic night indeed. All right, then it is time to meet Muriel Cuddy, CEO of Marito 8020, the clinic in Clonmel. Good morning to you, Muriel. Morning, How are Frank. you? Great. Um, we're, a lot of people were very interested in that piece last week with me getting my fingers sort of mangled by you. Yeah, uh, cut to do, open. To sliced, <laughs> sliced open he was. Yeah, Indeed, yeah. to do the sugar test and, and yeah. all. There was great interest in that, wasn't there? was there? really great interest, you know, and I, like I, I was saying, I had even a couple of nurses said to me, you know, yes, it was funny and whatever, but the take-home message was there. And like, we spoke about it afterwards, like, you literally had seven or eight minutes for that Red Bull to take effect. To take effect, Like, yeah. if you had an hour... Like, your blood sugars were definitely going to be, at, you know, at 14 or 15. And as it was, it went up from 5 point something up to, what was it? Yeah, it eight, went up to 8, 8.3 or 4. Yeah, 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 that's right. But, like, you didn't have the bar of chocolate with it. You didn't no. have anything else. You just literally had a small, a can, small can of, of Red, Red Bull. Bull. So you can imagine all day long of your drip feeding, feeding carbohydrates into you. Like, everything will raise your blood sugars to some level. Like, white bread, everything. Mm. Like, even the normal what we call processed but, but somebody said to me afterwards well that's all fine and very well and that's very concerning that it went up but, but what, what difference does it make? Yeah well if your blood sugars are going to be elevated continually well then your body's breaking down so then you're setting yourself up for chronic illness so if you're like that was your first lot of sugar for the day mm. so you, your blood sugars were perfect when we started at five mm. that was good right and you had had a coffee earlier earlier. Mm, just on, a but, coffee though I yeah, haven't eaten yeah, you yeah. Hadn't, you, but was there milk in the coffee Fran? No, no, no I okay, never Okay so just that. black so that wasn't yeah. going to make any difference to it but if you were to 
have like things that are sugar related all day long, well, then you are continually feeding your body something that your body isn't able to run on. So you're setting yourself up for chronic illness because your body, you need to stabilise your blood sugars like at a decently low level, balance them like mm. probably between for most people after meal, the sugars will go to eight, nine, ten, maybe depending on what they've eaten. But then they regularise themselves and they come back down right. again. So but you can't have them like at the 14s or 15s all, all the day. Time. All the time, yeah. And people wonder, like, even why they wake up during the night and then they have this intermittent sleep, etc. But, like, our blood sugars automatically spike uh, at about four o'clock in the morning. So if you've had sugar all day long and then they're going to spike, your body hasn't used it or burnt it, and they spike at four, you're going to wake and then you're going to have the intermittent sleep while the sugar is trying to be, you know, worked through your system. And you Mm. wake up in the morning banjacks, don't you? So you're going to go through that horrific procedure with me again in a few weeks' time? We're going to do it monthly, uh, guys, right? Um, We'll test different things with you, uh, Fran, or whatever. Yeah. So we'll, we'll test different foodstuffs yeah, even. Okay. We might even do it the next time that we'll do it earlier. So we'll actually get a full 30 minutes Oh, yeah, that'll be great, yeah. yeah. But he's changed his diet, guys. So, like, yeah, we're expecting his blood sugars. Am I looking guilty here? He's like looking, sideways out, yeah. outside of the No, diet. you see, I didn't eat this morning because I thought you might come in with all of your, your sort of... Oh, didn't you? Oh, sorry. So you haven't had any yeah. food today? No, okay. I haven't. No. Okay, but so that's good. So, so you can it's eat okay. Next I have a large Twix below on the desk. <laughs> Crossed wires. Anyway, you're going to talk to us about this. Is this comes up all the time in terms of mm. questions from listeners? The notion of IBD or IBS and all of that is, is this hugely important in terms of the people that come to see this you? This is massive. So there's about forty thousand people in Ireland with IBD, and there's probably about one in five that have IBS. But the symptoms of it cross over, and right. like it can present in other ways, and people think they have IBS. So IBS is irritable bowel syndrome. IBD is inflammatory bowel disorder, and there's a difference between both. Okay, Okay. so and I I literally want to do an education piece today. So I I think this is really interesting and people come back to me all the time and say, Muriel, I learned from that. Mm. So that's the piece today. So the very beginning of this piece, and you can tell me if you've you've known this before or not, Fran, but I want to literally work work through the digestive system first of all. Mm. So before we get down to where it's actually happening, because people don't even know themselves when they have it, which part of the body it's even affecting. Mm. Okay, so just very quickly, the digestive system, it consists of a long tube that varies in size and its purpose, a size and purpose as it's wind its way through its, your body from your mouth to, to your anus. So it's literally from the mouth all the way down. Okay, and that's kind of your digestive tract. The upper part of the GI tract includes the mouth. So I talk about this all, all the time, right? Your throat, the esophagus and your stomach. So in the mouth, that's where the food and everything starts. So you chew mechanically and you break it down with the first saliva, which is with, with your first enzyme, which is saliva. Okay, after that, the digestive process process starts. So chewing and swallowing requires conscious effort. But once the food reaches the esophagus, an automatic rhythmic uh, motion, which we call peristalsis, takes over, propelling the contents along. Okay, so you can imagine it's nearly like a machine down below and it's propelling everything on. If everything is going well, the passage of food from one area to the intestines to the next is precisely coordinated. So it stays in each area for just the right amount of time. Transit time is the duration between when you take a bite of your meal and when the leftover waste finally passes out as a stool or or as your poo. A meal could take anywhere from 12 to 72 hours to travel through the digestive tract. Each person is unique. A normal bowel movement pattern for one person could be completely different to anyone else, even in your family. So some individuals have very irregular patterns, never known when they're going to go. Other people know exactly. So the composition and quantity of dietary intake, the presence of a GI disease or disorder, which we're going to talk about today. So GI is your 
gastrointestinal tract, etc. And other factors influence transit time. So after that, then you're talking about your stomach. So following the esophagus, which is like at the left hand side of your abdominal cavity, is your stomach. And do you know your stomach is an organ? It's like a sac that holds about four litres uh, of food at any one time. So that's massive. Oh. So you're not supposed to eat until it's actually full, but that's what it does. Strong chemicals break food down into smaller components while the stomach's thick walls keep these chemicals from entering the body as it squeezes its contents with strong circular and longitude muscles and then it moves on to the next piece. Okay, so that's literally mm. from the mouth all the way down where the food. So in the beginning, we have to make it work. Then the body starts making it work. When the body breaks down or different things happen, then we can get autoimmune illnesses or GI, GI inflammatory disorders. So then I'm going to go first with IBD. Yes. Okay, so you can ask me any questions mm. as we go. So what is IBD? So IBD is inflammatory bowel disease. Okay, and it's a term for two conditions. So you'll hear this a lot. Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. Okay, so it's called UC. It's chronic inflammation of the GI tract. Okay, so this is like prolonged inflammation which damages the GI tract over time. So this is a serious illness. So what are the main types of IBD? So I've said Crohn's disease and you see the ulcerative colitis, mm-hmm. right? And how is it affected? So the, effect, the affected part in Crohn's disease is different. Okay, it can affect any part of the GI tract from the mouth to the anus of the small intestine before the large. So any part with Crohn's disease can be affected. With ulcerative colitis, it's different. It occurs in the large um, intestine only and the rectum. Okay, mm. so it's it's kind of lower down. The damaged areas then. So for Crohn's disease, the damaged areas appear in patches that are next to areas of healthy tissue. So you've got like spots or whatever, um, but it's different than in UC. So the UC, it's in, the, the damaged areas are literally mm. uh, right through. And what causes it? Oh, well, the causes, we'll get to them in two seconds, right? Okay. Because the inflammation piece has to come first, right? right. The inflammation can reach multiple layers uh, with Crohn's disease, but with, with the other, it's like literally in, in the lining, okay? So the symptoms, first of all, and we'll work our way down through it, okay? So the symptoms, if you have IBD, and like you have to really get tested to f- find out whether you have it or not. So persistent diarrhoea and, and even blood with your diarrhoea, abdominal pain, rectal bleeding and bloody stools, weight loss, fatigue, fever, um, uh, anemia, malnutrition, all of those. And then as you move on even on to the later stages of IBD, this will tell you how, how serious it is. Arthritis, skin problems, liver problems, kidney stones, wow. um, eye inflammation, all of that piece, Fran. So it's, it's serious enough. So the causes of IBD, and this I suppose is one of the areas that we really struggle with. The causes are unknown. Okay, so stress can exacerbate it and stress can cause it some in, in some instances, but we don't actually know, right? A weakened immune system or a malfunctioning immune system can cause it or the genetic, genetic piece can be there. So if there's a history of it in the family, mm. it can be there. The diagnosis, well, that has to come like through a few different things like endoscopy, colonoscopy, um, you know, it can be contrast radiograph. It, it, there's so many different things, stool samples, blood tests. But this is different like to say something like IBS because you actually have to go and get tested and all of that piece to figure out whether you have it or not. OK, mm-hmm. so then the treatment, the treatment for this again is different to IB, IBS because you've got to actually take meds for it. So there's certain specific meds or whatever that are there, you know, your amino salicylic acids, um, immunomodulators, things like that, right? Um, try and stay away from things like that are the neurofins and those because they actually upset um, the gut and upset that. But there's, there's a lot of different things, but a doctor has to actually prescribe for you. Yes. And then you have to follow a special diet and you definitely need, a, so it's a special diet and a supplementation. And with IBD, and this is important for people to know, you need help to get it right. It's really hard and you're living like with this condition, you are really unwell. 
So if you get help and you can do the diet, etc., you will always have flare ups. So there'll be times, you know, mm. like a month you might might be okay, but then you'll get the flare up and you really have to know how to And are there particular foods that cause the flare ups? Oh mean, yeah, totally. It... Like so your fruit fruit triggers and this again, I suppose it's different to say like a lot of the other stuff that I do. So like insoluble fibre doesn't really work because you, do, you, you the digestion piece isn't there and you can't absorb the water from the you can't absorb the water into the food and you need the water in the food to move it on if that makes sense. So insoluble mm. fibre like is like things like whole wheat, nuts, beans, things that don't even cauliflower, potatoes that really won't soak that water yes. are very hard with IBD. There's certain um dairy is definitely one. And like these ones pop up all the time, don't they? Dairy, spicy foods, you're processed all the time. But you've nuts and seeds and things like that that I talk about that are really good Mm. within the body, don't work with IBD. And then you've other things like alcohol. It's kind of a no-no. Um, because that's going to go, going to affect and anything that's high fat. So you're kind of limited and, and you really have to get it right. So like I work with people that are younger with, with um, IBD and it's really hard to get their diet right. Mm. And if they have a flare up, they're really unwell, you know. Mm. So IBD is a serious enough illness and the difference between IBD and IBS. So that's and people ask me that. So they can yeah. say I, IBD, no, I have IBS. Oh, uh, and they're not quite sure. If you have IBD, you know you have it. But if mm. you have IBS, you don't really know. So, okay. The, um, IBD is classified as a disease, but IBS is classified as a syndrome. Oh. So there's a big difference, okay, or a group of, of, of symptoms, right? IBD is literally, it can cause destruct, destructive inflammation and permanent harm to the intestines. Okay, the disease can be seen during diagnostic imaging, whereas with IBS, it doesn't cause inflammation. It rarely requires hospitalisation or surgery. And there's no sign of the disease or abnormality during any any exam. And I suppose Mm. I get this a lot. um, And that's the problem, I guess. That's what I get a lot in clinic, because Mm. people say to me, I'm sure I have like IBD, but I've been for everything. I've been tested for everything, but nothing has shown up. That's your IBS piece. Mm. You know, and it's really important to know, like, say with somebody with IBD, there's increased risk for colon cancer, but there isn't on the IBS side. So IBS, it's a functional gastrointestinal disorder, but it means there's some sort of disturbance in the bowel function, but it's not like your IBD. The bowel mm. function is disturbed, but there's things that we can do. Right. And how do we figure out, like, it's symptoms and elimination, Fran. So it's literally sitting down with somebody like me to figure out, mm. like, where is this? And what, talk to us about the symptoms. I mean, if you have IBD, how how will you behave? I mean, what are the symptoms? Well, you'll straight away after eating a large meal, you'll know. So, like, you'll, the bloatedness will be there straight away. If you're under stress even and you haven't even had a large meal, you'll actually feel it straight away. Like, you'll feel like you need to go to the loo, like, mm. like the nervous piece. And when you go to the loo, you'll actually feel a little bit better. But it's all the symptoms, again, of, like, intolerance issues. So you're talking about constipation, diarrhoea, uh, persistent abdominal pain, um, you might have a bloody stool, mucus in the stool, gassiness, uh, the bloating piece is there. The sensation of feeling full, even though you haven't even eaten a lot, that's there. Um, um, swelling uh, and then the urge is supposed to go to the loo even when you don't don't need to go to the loo. That's there a lot and that's one of the ones I think that really affects people. But I get, I know the, the stats are there to say it's one in five. I think it's actually more than one in five, to be honest with you, with IBS. I get a lot of people that come through me all the time with IBS, you know. Right, and they can have some or all of those symptoms. Is Some or all it? of them, yeah. But you know what? Most of the time, people have most of them. Okay. You know, like when you actually ask, and there can be even more as in, and, and these ones aren't even, if you went to look it up and stuff, you wouldn't see other ones. Like you wouldn't see ones like headache, um, the inflammation in the body, like, you know, muscle pain and mm. things like that, mm. and giant pain. And you don't get the other ones, whereas I see them. But you see, IBS is like, um, it's a gut, but there's a disturbance between the gut and the brain. And the gut brain syndrome is there. Like we talk about the, 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 the synergies between it all the time mm. because, 
to me the gut is your first is your is your is your first um, brain and then everything comes up to here so there's definitely something malfunctioning between the two there okay and i think stress manifests that massively yeah so like ibs we don't know what's what's causing it Mm. Uh, we know that triggers can be there like foods, hormonal uh, medications, most certainly like, um, you know, the neurofins and things like that. Um, but it's really hard yeah, to decipher where, where it's coming from. It's very interesting. So in terms of doing something about that, then. there's no one size fits all with IBS. It's different. So you have to put a proper treatment plan in place with IBD. But with IBS, it's um, I would use two words, elimination and education. Okay. They're the two. So you would literally have to sit down with somebody. You would have to do a food journal. You would have to journal every single thing that you're eating and drinking. We do the elimination. So people would have then like, say, a good list, a bad list and a kind of an in-between list mm. of things that move over and back. Uh, with IBS, it's nearly like a work in progress for life because you're not like hugely intolerant to things. It's just things that are aggravating and they're aggravating at different times and different, I suppose, times in your life when, mm. when it comes to stress and that. Yeah, you have to do the education piece to say to somebody, listen, this is for life. Um, dairy is there now, but, you know, or sorry, dairy is taken out now. Maybe we can add it back in on some smaller level when we actually heal what's happening but uh, mm. it might never again come back in. How soon would somebody see a difference? Oh, I actually And think again, I'm talking about IBD, obviously, you know, in terms of changing the diet and... Uh, well, I suppose IBD is long-term. With the IBS, if you want to see a difference, you'd probably it probably takes about, I would think, six to eight weeks, really. Mm. And, you know, when somebody's doing something like this with me, uh, if it was weight loss or whatever, I'd say to somebody, we can do it 70-30, so if you get it right 70% of the time, the 30% you can have your wine mm. and you can do. When you're trying to clean up somebody's gut, I always liken it to for all the world, and you can see my hand here, it's nearly like an open wound. And like if you have areas that are like really sore and raw and all of that piece, uh, you've got to get the help the wound to close. Mm. So if you're putting in wrong triggers, it's nearly like putting salt into an open wound on your hand for all the world. Well, the wound is never going to heal. No, you're never, so it's never going to scab you're over. You're constantly aggravating constantly it. Constantly aggravating it. Yeah. So that has to actually close. So for that to close, you have to remove just about all the triggers mm. to get to where you need to be. And if you can do that, then your body's going to become well very fast. And most of the time with people, if, if we diagnose IBS or whatever, they don't go back on any of the foods because the minute they go back on them and they feel so unwell, it's gone straight away. Like I had a lady in yesterday and she said to me, Muriel, it took us so long to get to the bottom of, you know, what was causing yeah. all the issues or whatever. And her one was chronic tiredness that literally... Um, and she had two things. Gluten and dairy were two of her biggest triggers. But if she had anything at all with gluten, she was asleep. Literally within 10, 15 minutes. I have a 16-year-old um, that comes into me that falls asleep after gluten. Now, she could be heading off to play a match and you'd find her asleep in the back of the car on the way because she's had something with gluten in it, right? The dairy was the other piece, but the dairy was the gas piece. So that was literally like the farting and the smell and all of that kind of thing. But she said, why did it take so long? Like, my doctor had to bring home my bloods because I'd been for every single test and she was good friends to her doctor and she said she literally brought him home to see was there something that she could that she was missing or some other area she could send her on whatever. And it was literally her body was breaking down because of what was going in. You shouldn't have, and I've said it, I said it in the social media piece the other night, I was knackered out, tired coming home. It was eight o'clock, it was spilling rain. I put the phone up in the dash in front of me and I just spoke, to, spoke into for people to listen. So I'd had a builder in that day and I had another lady in. These were two success stories, but they had come in so unwell. So the builder literally wasn't, hadn't the energy to lift whatever he was lifting. He was putting windowsills or whatever. He hadn't the energy to do that. He couldn't drive to and from work 
uh, the tiredness piece was there. And he always had lower back pain, but now he had pain everywhere and he couldn't explain where the pain was coming from. And the other thing was, the lads were telling him things. So the lads at work could say, I left that there or done whatever. He, he owned, he had five or six lads working with him. They'd say something to him and within 10 minutes it was gone. So when he came in to me, he said, I have no idea. He said, I feel like I'm going cracked. He was 60. He said, I have to work, but I just don't know what to do. And I've had everything done. There's nothing showing up. So we worked with him and it was all gut related, Fran. Like he was in the other day. He's now two stone lighter. But every single symptom is gone. I mean, every single symptom. And I, I said to him, listen, I said, I'm going to read out everything that you had. You know, tell mm. me how many and the percentages or whatever of the notes we made in the first session. And he said, Muriel, they're gone. That's gone. There was only one thing really left. And this is one that he's working on because he didn't do it in the beginning. When he's walking. So he walks every evening now with a friend or whatever. And I said, you need to be slightly out of breath when you're mm. walking. Like we're pushing the next piece now. And he said, ah, Jesus, I was completely out of breath. But he said, this fellow had ran up sleeping him on on Sunday. So he said he was flying. Mm. So he's pushed me into the hills. But he just couldn't believe it. He said, every single thing is gone. And one other lady was like that. So I went on social media to say, you shouldn't have chronic tiredness. You shouldn't have the headaches. You shouldn't have the unexplained um, giant pain or swelling. The gut shouldn't swell like you're three to six months pregnant after food. You know, like you shouldn't yes. have the gas. You shouldn't have constipation diarrhea. There shouldn't be blood in your stool. Like you shouldn't be knackered an hour after getting out of bed. Uh, you shouldn't feel like you're anxious, depressed or stressed. Yes, We've the financial worries and we've like the emotional piece or whatever, mm. but it shouldn't be there all the time. There should be um, times within your day that yes, that piece is there, but you're able to be well aside from that, if that makes sense or whatever. That's very, very interesting, isn't it? And so many people, as you say, but but we do accept, you see, a level of discomfort or a level of pain. We, we think it's the norm. You, you see, you let the body break down until the body's in such a state that you can't do anymore. Yes. And then you get so worried that it's something like cancer or it's something mm. whatever. And, and you know, when you get to that stage, it's nearly, it's not never too late. Yes, you can start working on it. But the people that come in to work on it and feel, say like that man, I feel they're very lucky that they picked up the phone mm. to do that piece. Because if they don't pick up the phone to do that piece, you're gone on then to the next piece of the chronic illness. Mm. So like if you have something like, say if you have high level of visceral fat and your blood pressure is high, and you feel unwell and whatever, like your the cure score for cardiac is massive. So like your risk of stroke, your risk of heart attack, your risk of all of those things like are two to the four mm. massively. And where IBS and IBD are concerned, does taking medication play any part in that? Because it's a discussion I had lately with somebody who was on quite a bit of medication and in terms of inflammation that the medication has caused it as well. Now it's helping the yeah. other issues. Yeah. But is that something you can Well, I think with IBD, no. Put that to one side because you need the meds, you need whatever and it's genetic and it yes. can be like, and we don't know where that's coming from. So yes, things like... Um, your neurofins and things like that will aggravate the gut or whatever. Mm. So try and stay away from them when you when you have it. But with IBS, certain medications can definitely aggravate or cause. Yeah, that's def- definitely one of the pieces that's there. Um, or it can trigger it, if that yes. makes sense. Yeah. Like you have to, I suppose, and this is one of the things we talk about all the time. And this will like, the, the, the airways can like light up when you talk about things like this. But like statins can cause other issues. So like if you need a statin for cholesterol, you need it and it brings it down. But for my view on it would be try and do the preventative piece mm. first because mm. you can bring it down through lifestyle med- modifications a lot of the time. Now, some of it is genetic. Mm. And if, if it's genetic and you can't get it down, that's absolutely fine. But if you are taking a statin, like you need to know the other side of like you need coenzyme Q10. 
you know, which is like... Well, to for, balance up to, the it's, effect. It's, it's, it's the muscle in the heart. There's muscles, like the body is muscles, but the heart is also a muscle. Yeah. So a starting depletes your coenzyme Q10, which is what is needed for your heart muscle to keep it strong and healthy, you know. Mm. So there's foreign against everything. You know my take like on the Nexiums and all of them, like mm. they just mask the fire that's going on within the gut. So like if the fire is still there and somebody offers you an Nexium, mm. be aware it's only masking. Your body is still breaking down underneath. Like the, with the, both of these illnesses I've spoken about here, the malabsorption piece is massive. Okay, so like no matter what you're eating, if we don't sort this piece out, you're not going to get that from your food. So if you're not getting that from your food, your body is going to become unwell, you know. So like all of that has to come together. Then if you put meds in and your gut is unwell already, mm. well, like, yeah, they're going to like ruin the lining of the gut. They're going to affect the liver. So like you've all that piece. So the biggest thing, I suppose, or the take home message is try and become as well as you possibly can, mm. by just doing things right. Right. And is it your experience that most people can get to feel uh, an awful percent, 100%. If somebody comes in, and I say it like all the time, and buys into it, you do become well. And like the calls I've had, the phone hasn't stopped. I mean, hasn't stopped this week, literally with people ringing. And a lot of the calls of people that are ringing me are literally people that have come through even in the last six to nine months, to say to me, uh, Muriel, um, I've got, I've gone back a little or I'm feeling a little unwell again. Mm. Can I come back in? Because they don't want to go back down the road of where they were. So they, they have to keep... Now, it's a continuous work in progress. But yes, you can become well. But your friend, to be well or healthy is a continuous work in progress. Of course it is. Like, of course it is. If people want to talk to you, yeah. uh, how can they do that? Yeah, can I just say, we didn't speak about celiac and a lot of people... Um, uh, celiac mm. is another one. So we'll do that next yeah, week, OK? Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Um, OK, so if they want to talk to me, it's 0526141881 or www.marito8020.com. All right, great to see you as always, Muriel. Thanks very much yeah. indeed. We'll take a break. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie now, the Labour Party in Tipperary have announced their youngest local election candidate, 26-year-old Ross Crane native Jordan Lewis, who joins me now. Jordan, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you. Congratulations uh, to you. Was it always going to be politics for you, Jordan? Is this something you always wanted? Um, it was kind of a mixture of a few things. And, um, well, politics had always played a, a vital role for myself in sort of how I, I do my day-to-day life, let alone sort of my career as well, you know. Yeah. And and what about the Labour Party? I mean, was that inevitable for you as well, that it was uh, that particular road you were going to go down? Yes, that was that was go- always going to be an inevitable opportunity, well, choice for me. Um, why? Can, into- why can I ask you, Jordan? Is that because of family loyalty, or is it something you just came up with yourself? Well, it wasn't. Re- I don't really come from a political family at, uh, background at all. It was just when I when I do follow politics myself, and just given the circumstances of everything that goes on, I've always found Labour have always had. Uh, the best interests for communities at heart and they're very, very up-to-date with social issues and, uh, you know, it was just... Everything was just made so clear and easy when I was deciding this that Labour was always the way, you know, no matter what. Now, it's a party that's floundering in the polls in recent years and it's struggling to, I suppose, have an identity, Jordan. Does that concern you? Uh, Not really, no. Um, Look, the way it goes, uh, as we all know, every government makes mistakes, every party has mistakes, they all have 
something to be accountable for. But across the board, it's just the policies that Labour stand for. I've always been a, serious, a firm believer with everything that Labour has, has stood for. Look, everyone makes mistakes at the end of the day, but... You know, who hasn't, you know? And the mistakes you're referring to was them being in government uh, during those years of austerity, I guess. Well, look, you can look at it from that point of view, but you can look at it from a personal level as well. You know, some people just don't like people in Labour on a personal level, let alone a government level. And it goes across the board with with the rest of the parties as well. But Mm. always, always, I've always found that Labour have been very firm on their stance with keeping up to date with social issues across the board. What are the main issues for you? I mean, if you were to be elected as a councillor, what, what, what would the top uh, few items on your list be? Well, a lot of things have come to my attention in the past couple of weeks. And as Councillor Lee has pointed out prior to my interview here, that the hotel is a big, big priority for Ross Gray in particular. Um, it just concerning the hotel in of itself, I stand by Ross Gray, you know, with the protest. It was a total lack of government transparency with people. And, you know, it's not... Ross Gray was painted in a very bad light. And I I just want to be able to try and help Ross Gray and, of course, the surrounding communities in any way possible to keep ourselves very much on the map and not to be seen as anything bar a very welcoming community. How can you have that stance, Jordan, when essentially Labour is pro the idea of people coming in and and not capping numbers even though we can't look after people properly at this point? There is a happy medium to be found everywhere. No matter what way you look at it, there always will be a happy medium and it's just finding that happy medium. Like, at the end of the day, we didn't... You know, war is something that every country has faced over their years and other countries have stepped up and it's just... It's one of those things where we have to be hospitable to others but also maintaining a good balance with our own communities and and country as well. And how do you feel that balance is in, in Ross Gray, for example, who have... Uh... It's, it, it's not balanced very much at all. It was just from a lack of transparency. Again, I, I reiterate, lack of transparency. But again, it's my, this is my first time running, so nice. I, I'm very new to all of this end of it. But I do see where Ross Gray is coming from. You know, uh, the lack of services is is appalling for people mm. like doctors and dentists. I mean, I, I even can't, um, no one can get into a GP. It, it, it's phone calls only. And if it's an emergency, it's straight to hospital rather than a GP checking you out to tell you if it's an emergency or not. You uh, know? And as as a native of Ross Gray, Jordan, did you find it unfortunate the way uh, some of the people protesting were portrayed in in the media, for example, and indeed some uh, members of the Labour Party as well, you know, being absolutely, rather rather upfront in their, their, their criticism of them. Well, absolutely. Look, I mean, Ross Gray, from everything I know of Ross Gray growing up, it has always been a very hospitable community. And, you know, we're, they're very, with the times, very much welcoming to everyone. But it was just a sheer lack of government, lack of transparency with the government. And it's one bad policy after another. And people are People are voicing their opinions and they have every right to do so. Are you prepared for, I mean, sometimes passionate people like yourself, you go into politics and then you discover it's a blooming, slow-moving machine that's hard to get going and hard to be effective in. Are you ready for that, Jordan? I'm I'm very ready for it. Um, look, I, I'm no stranger to how 
slow things can move, you know, um, with, with, with policy and things like that. But look, it's just my prerogative is to keep everyone very much in the loop, a totally transparent attitude to politics, and just keeping people assured that policies can be improved and maintained. And with a bit of luck, we can try and push these on to keep it efficient for people and people finally get to see what their communities can develop into. You spoke to me about immigration and it probably leads on to the other biggie, which has to be housing. And people just on to me this morning, since I spoke to Shane Lee there as well, to say how difficult it is to even find a place to rent in Ross Gray at this point. Is that your experience, Jordan? Um, I've had a number of people come to me and there has been a difficulty in finding um suitable housing for uh, for families in particular. But it's just, I, I don't know what really to say on the matter because, again, my first year running, you yeah. know, I, I've, I've tried my best so far with with anyone that has come to me, but it, it is a serious issue that has to be addressed, is the, is the housing problem in Ross Grey. Uh, health and hospitals, of course, huge as well, and particularly where UHL is concerned because uh, North Tipperary now largely depending on uh, UHL, and there, there's some horror stories coming out of that. I mean, are you hearing that on the ground, Jordan? I I am. I am I'm hearing it all, and uh, quite frankly, I, I just my sympathy and my heart goes out to those that are experiencing that trauma. Honestly, it, it just, it shouldn't happen in this day and age that there's such a long waiting list or people are on trolleys for things. And, you know, it, it shouldn't happen. We're in 2024 now and we've come on leaps and bounds uh, over the last number of years with health and health services, but we're still looping back to the same problem that we still have people on trolleys. Um, I Sometimes, even though I, I would have occasion to have strong words with politicians but to be honest with you largely I respect them for what they do and one of the main reasons I do so is their phones are ringing all of the time and uh, you know even if they're socialising people are coming up to them with, with problems and stuff are you ready for that for example? I, would you believe it I'm actually already used to it Are you? Um, I, I'm training as, a, uh, as an embalmer in mortuary science and you know I, I'm well prepared for the fact that if I go into a field of that I'm married to the job and it's a 24-7 job and if I'm willing to prepare myself for that, I'm definitely prepared for answering the phone at any hour of the day or night, no matter what the need is. Uh, I was going to ask you about that because that's something I'm fascinated with. It's your field of study, which is mortuary science. Are, are people, do you come across people like me all the time? We're intensely curious about that field of study. Um, there is a, there is a, a minute population that have have had curiosity about it, but on the whole, people kind of just don't really ask about it because they're you know I suppose people are afraid of what they'd hear, and yes. sometimes ignorance is bliss, you know. Yeah, but I mean, why why did you choose to get into that? I mean, embalming people, dealing with the dead, and all of that, Jordan. It sounds it sounds a little out there, you know. It's very much out there, Fran, but um, it, it, it actually came about by an accident, really. I was actually, I had made a decision back in fifth year when I was a student in Our Ladies in Templemore that I wanted to um, study Church of Ireland ministry. And when I was sent for my first interview with the selector of ordinance in the college, one of the main priorities he had placed on me was to get used to the, you know, to deal with the aspect of death as part and parcel of the of your role would be dealing with the dead and the, the families of the deceased and you know so I, I just at the time had a small we'll say fear 
because I didn't have mm. the knowledge on, on, on anything really to do with it. And I suppose I wanted to conquer my fear, and I said I'd see how far I'd go with it. And I, I, I went to view an embalming to see how really it's done from start to finish, from embalming to burial. Wow. And um, I just, something had clicked with me while I was actually viewing it. And I just said, well, hold on might work as well. I, I, I have to look more into this. And the more I looked into it, the more I found, I, I really found it fascinating to say the least. And um, a few years on had passed. I had I had, I had had studied music in the Cork School of Music and that. And it had always been in the back of my mind. And I said a couple of years ago, why not? Yeah, as I say, I, I'm really intrigued about it because I'm the sort of person when I go to to a removal, what I can barely look at the body in the in, in the in the coffin because it scares the you know what out of me. So I'm always intrigued that people do this as a profession. Yeah, I suppose I suppose on the whole, you know, embalming really is only a recent um, is only a recent thing to come into yes. Ireland. You know, yeah. since the late '60s, early '70s, and. Um, you know, really and truly, it, it is a modern profession nowadays, and it, it, it does hail its roots back to ancient Egypt. But in this country, in particular, it only really goes back fifty, sixty years. And um, you know, so like everything, like it, it, it can be a slow process for people to uh, understand what someone in my profession does. Mm. Are, are you I, are you religious, Jordan? I am. I'm actually currently the rector's church warden of the Church of Ireland in Ross Grey here. And um, I've always had a, a deep sense of religion since I was a child. Right. Very good. And how will that play into your political life if you're elected, if you know what I mean? How? Well, one of the great morals I had been taught as a child, and it was it was very easy to have it, was to have a good ecumenical sense about me because at the end of the day, I never saw religion as a barrier to anyone, regardless of what one another person's beliefs were, mm. you know, and I was always taught to respect everyone else's beliefs, and I, I I can't stress that enough that I do respect everyone's beliefs, regardless of political or religious beliefs or even a personal indifference. It makes no difference to me, you know. I, I view everyone as equal. Interesting. And uh, how does that go alongside Labour's very liberal views, I suppose, over the years in terms of what they've championed with referenda and uh, and the like? How how does that coexist, Jordan? Well, it it coexists. Uh, coexists. Apologies there. Quite uh, quite easily with with Labour's uh, constitution, and it it's just the fact that Labour are very much now up to date with modern social issues and, and, and everything like that. And the fact that we are coming into a new age, Labour is moving with the new age now, and it's just time that we were able to be all equal and we were all able to see each other as equal and, you know, we just carry on as equals. Well, you're certainly very eloquent and we wish you the very best, uh, Jordan. We have a mutual friend there in John Fitzgerald in, in Clonmore. We, we do, and I was, I, I, would you believe it, I had intended to visit Fitzpatrick's last Saturday with your, uh, to see yourself in Owen Lonergan, but uh, unfortunately I was called away for uh, study, unfortunately, for my final exam in March, so... But I will make it my well, intention to, to go out next time. Well, I'm sure we'll catch up uh, along the way. We wish you well, Jordan, and thanks for coming on with me this morning. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank Brian. you. Bye-bye, Janelle. Thank Jordan Lewis, um, the Labour Party candidate, the youngest local election candidate, in fact, for the Labour Party, 26-year-old Ross Gray native there, Jordan Lewis. <laughs>
If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1-800-938-007. Oh, you're very welcome back. A listener says, I didn't catch Muriel's phone number. Could you read it out again? I can indeed. Hang on, I scribbled it on something here. It's uh, 052-614-8881. That's 052-614-8851. Somebody asking me, um, what was that lady's name who was talking about gut health? Um, her name is Muriel Cuddy and her company there is Marito 8020 and they're based in Clonmel. All right, then it's time for our farming slot and I'm glad to be joined by Amy Ford who is news editor for the Farmer's Journal. Amy, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. There's a bit of a compromise in the acres payments. Uh... A compromise, if that if that, that's what we call it exactly. Um, so a bit of background, Fran, first. Um, around 28,000 farmers um, as of the end of January were still waiting for their acres payment for 2023. Um, so there was a massive delay in getting these payments mm. out to farmers around the country. Um, the minister said that he aimed to have them paid by the end of February and it kind of emerged over the last number of weeks that it could be later than that. So in a move to um, a basically a compromise move, the, the department and the minister have basically moved to bypass their own IT system and payment mechanisms to pay the 26000 that are now for their delayed acres money. So the government is going to stump up... Um, a couple of million euro, more than a couple of million euro, um, to pay these twenty six thousand farmers by the month. So farmers in the general stream, um, which has a higher or a lower average payment, will get four thousand euro, and farmers in the cooperation stream will be paid five thousand euro by the end of the month. And the minister for agriculture has committed to the farmers' journal that these farmers will all be paid by the end of this month. Well, that's good news for farmers, I would imagine. Will you tell me a bit about that ten day? crime spree resulting in those GPS uh, kits being stolen. But I didn't realise how much they were worth, in fact, Amy. Yeah, there's a, a massive issue over, over the last 10 days, really, 10 to 11 days. Um, thousands of euro worth of GPS kit has been stolen from, from tractors around the country. At least 16 farmers and contractors have been targeted. Um, and this is, as we said, over the last 10 days. The spree began in Cork on Friday night, 2nd of February, and then spread up the country to Wexford and then northwards to Dublin Mead, where 100,000 euro worth of technology was stolen from seven farms within a 10-kilometre radius. And, and then further, yeah, I think Kenny and Wexford are targeted with farmers losing equipment worth €90,000 in total. Um, a range of different tractors are targeted. John Deere, New Holland, um, Valtra um, were all hit. Um, and these are a really key and expensive piece of kit um, for farmers that they basically have on their tractors and that can carry out a range of, of things such as you know fertiliser spreading and basically mapping fields and where, where um, fertiliser or seed or whatever else you're putting out should go, if that makes sense. It does indeed. But will there be an attempt to sell these on in this country or will they be probably taken out of the country? How how will that work, Amy? So the, the reporting from Peter Thomas Key, my colleague in this week's paper, he's two pages on it in the machinery supplement of this week's issue. Um, he's saying that these are being stolen to order. He's seen CCTV footage um, how uh, basically one farmer um, basically the thieves had examined each of his three case and New Holland tractors unscrewed the cover on each of them where the, the GPS guidance was controlled and positioned and um, they left older screens behind them um, they left implement screens, control boxes from a number of different brands untouched and high value tools were also left untouched in the tractor cabs um, and other state, right, other so different So this is um, very targeted and specific Amy 
very, very targeted, exactly, yeah. Wow. Um, the farmers' protests, um, possibly more to come? Yeah, com- coming to a town near you, Fran. Um, the IFA has announced uh, in recent days that it is to ramp up its tractor protests around the country. Um, about two weeks ago, everyone will remember um, that the IFA uh, mounted a protest in each county where they put their tractors around a local town or city. Um, in the evening, it was a Thursday evening, uh, in solidarity with their EU counterparts who were protesting over, over regulation and red tape in the farming industry out in France, Germany, Brussels, Spain. Um, almost every European country has had a protest at this stage. Um, and the IFA has said it's going to continue its, its campaign now right up until the summer elections for the local and European um, mm. Parliament. And they're going to stage uh, tar- county council meetings first around the country. So Longford IFA last night um, staged a meeting yesterday evening, I should um Mm. at their local county council meeting where they, they actually got to the meeting and they just uh, held a demonstration outside of it. Um, so they're going to, the message from Francie Gorman, from the president, he said that enough is enough and that's what they're going to tell politicians. So far, the Irish farmers' protests have been rather benign by comparison to what's been happening across uh, Europe. Do you think they're going to be become more disruptive over the coming uh, months? I don't think so. You know, there's a slight bit of crystal ball gazing involved in that question, Fran, but um, Irish Armour protests are often, you know, either a sort of march from one place to another um, or it is a tractorcade type protest where key arteries of villages or cities are, are, are clogged up for a certain amount of time. You know, what they do in France, i.e., uh, you know, spreading Dungan buildings or, or mm, setting yeah. um, on fire. We don't do that here. Um, so it, it's hard to know, but the IFA has said that, look, they will, they will be stepping up the campaign as the weeks go on, so we'll see where it goes. It's a very interesting piece as well by Larkin Roach, uh, Kelly, in, in the journal today. Your supplier is not your your bank, but making the point that, you know, having the trade account of the supplier, many benefits to that, so long as you don't overdo the, the 30 days. Yeah, so a trade account that your supplier has many benefits, Lorcan writes this week, that, such as you know the ease of doing business and usually an allowance of a 30-day pay- period to make payment in full without being hit with extra interest costs or fees. Um, but the thing is, once you get past that 30-day period, the costs can start to rapidly add up. And unless they're managed, they can quickly become significant. So... Um, Larkin writes this week that there's no better deal when buying what you need for your farm than getting it on from your trade supplier so long as you pay it all within the 30-day interest-free period. But once you go beyond that, uh, you know, you're not in you're not in the good books. There's no worse deal than that. Kind of one to keep an eye on. Um, I suppose especially this time of year now, um, you know, the weather has been too good, but, um, you know, the, the open period, it's the open period now for fertilizer spreading, bag, bag fertilizer. Um, that's going to start to pick up over the next coming weeks um, as the weather improves. And it's something I suppose that farmers should keep in mind. Should we be concerned that the cattle numbers fell by 25,000 in 2023, Amy? Uh, I don't think so. This is, you know, one year out of every other year. Uh, so the 2023 statistics, uh, the Central Statistics Office released the uh, figures for each of the kind of livestock sectors and where the numbers ended up in 2023. And that showed that there was a 25,900 head drop um, in cattle numbers nationally. That's 0.4% of a drop. It's a small drop. Um, so as of the end of last year, the national herd stood at about 6.5 million head. 
Um, a lot of those are probably um, cows that are being offloaded that went to the factory. Um, while dairy cow numbers were only down marginally, very marginally, um, you know, suckler cow numbers, there there are less of them. And farmers are just probably offloading um, animals with the cut and the derogation. Um, that has had an impact. And then I suppose all this, the other side of it is that out of all the livestock sectors, the number of pigs fell by 10% last year compared to the previous year a massive drop of 162,000 head um, last year so that, that's a really interesting figure and that is no doubt down to the, the massively high costs that um, pig farmers face in 2022 and in 2023 Can I finally ask you about the piece uh, telling us that students are being turned off by agricultural <laughs> science what's, what's behind that Amy? Yeah, so the, the, there's been a recent drop in the number of students choosing to study ag science for their leaving search and it's a, it's a source of concern among teachers. Um, an analysis by Sarah McIntosh in Irish Country Living this week shows that since 2021, there's a thousand fewer students choosing to study agricultural science as a leaving search subject. Um, so this is part one of our series and she shares the results of the survey conducted conducted. Um, with 112 agricultural science teachers responding, 76% said they had seen a decline in the number of students mm. studying the subject. And do we know? Do we know why? Uh, I suppose. Look, there's there's obviously competing competing subject matters. I'll call it. Um, the other side of things is everyone will remember the crash, and and how you know the country really kind of in one way relied on farming in, in a certain amount mm, yeah. um, to keep things going. When things are good, you know, people often graduate into other sectors of the economy um, you know this is studying ag science in, in leaving cert mm. and further afield you know it'd be interesting is that um, translating to a drop third level at the same time um, but the full analysis in, inside this week's paper on it front. Alright great to talk to you as always Amy thanks for your time this morning thank you good, thanks, morning. good morning to you that is Amy Ford their news editor for the Farmers Journal and the journal is on your shelves right now and that's about it uh, from me and uh, thanks to Doc, who produced uh, today. Stephen's on the way with the Time Tunnel on the Lunchtime Show. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.